Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 18, 2022, including Hogwarts Legacy has officially been delayed, Alone in the Dark is making a comeback, Gamescom is actually heating up with the promise of intriguing news, and more. On this week in Xbox history, Zombie U, download only, released, or actually maybe it was a physical release, but the download version, I don't know, released on the Xbox One worldwide in 2015. Now, of course, for those who are saying, Zombie U, wasn't that a Wii U game? Yes, obviously the title gives it away. Although, excellent epic listeners of the show will recall that the game was just called zombie on the on the xbox and playstation version because originally it was a launch game for the nintendo wii u in november of 2012 titled zombie u it was meant to be a ubisoft game specifically designed around the wii u obviously we know how that console and its game sold so they eventually you know recouped their losses or tried to at least by porting it over a few years later on other hardware that sold considerably better so little fun one actually I, I actually remember that game fondly i was a big wii u fan when it first came out actually throughout most of the console's life cycle and um i actually liked this game this game was quite good i never finished it it was kind of annoying it had a really stressful death system but it's a fun game a very unique game and all the elements come together to make an excellent game but it's very unique and i applaud it for that ubisoft learn from your past all right guys welcome to episode 168 of xbox on we're in luck because we have yet another week where it's quite a, a chunky, interesting list of Xbox stories to go through. So I'm pretty excited about what we have on hand here today. And I hope you are too. If you're not, well, then why the hell you listen to the podcast? Listen, here's the thing is I try to bring a little bit of positivity to your week, you know, every Thursday by, by putting out this show all about Xbox in hopes that you, potentially an Xbox fan, might listen to this and Maybe you feel a little informed. Maybe you just feel a little entertained. Maybe it's a good distraction from your day-to-day life. I don't know. But if you're not having a good time and you don't enjoy the show, why the fuck are you listening? You know there's always car talk. It's in syndication. You can listen to it on any podcast service. It's an excellent show. Click and clack, baby boy. Cameos in Cars 1 and 3. Come on, guys. What are you waiting on? All right. Guys, at the top of the show, I'd never uh, done anything like this, but I'd just like to like take, take a brief 30 seconds and just say something real quick. Um... I don't mean to make the episode a little sad or, um, you know, take it, take the focus too far off things, but, um, it would be really uncomfortable for me personally not to say something about this. So, um, earlier this week, I found out some really upsetting news. Um, one of my great childhood friends, a friend from, man, I think like age 11 all the way through college, um, Geraldin passed away and, uh, it's been definitely <laughs> something on my mind all week. And, I, you know, I just, there's not much I obviously can do right now. Um, but I just felt like, you know, this podcast is the thing I have. Um, and I would like to use this, this podcast to have something to kind of solidify and commemorate and remember this person who was a massive part of my youth and, and, um, 
left a huge lasting impact on me. And, you know, this is someone I, I care about deeply and I will miss dearly for the rest of my life. So I just wanted to, um, you know, do a shout out to Geraldine. Thank you for always being a really excellent friend to me. And um, also another thing I just want to say in relation to that is um, my, uh, my friend Geraldine, her family are trying to raise money to cover the funeral costs. She leaves behind a two-year-old son and her sisters and nephews and her mother. And um, so they have a GoFundMe. So if that's something you're interested in, if it, you know, I, I don't mean to be like, hey, guys, I'm emotionally twisting your arm. Please do this. But, you know, if it's something you feel compelled to help contribute to, um, I'm just going to leave a link in the podcast notes or the YouTube description, however you listen to the podcast. If it's something you feel compelled to maybe help support in some way, shape, or form, um, the link is there. But I appreciate you guys just letting me get that incredibly you know unrelated i guess to xbox news kind of thing out of the way i just um it's it's something i really wanted to make mention of just to just to remember and and to appreciate my friend so thank you for that um moving back into the xbox news you guys let's start out with the regular run of show the updates stories of mild amusements corrections don't fucking ask me if there's a correction you know there isn't you know i've never gotten a single thing wrong on this podcast and don't fact check that because you won't like the answer but yeah uh, we're going to skip over the, the corrections and go into the updates and stories of mild amusement. And honestly, I feel like this week we got an interesting run of stories of mild amusement. I'm trying to be more like I'm trying to be more arbitrary about what goes into the main news segment, what goes into the stories of mild amusement, because it really should just be, you know, dependent on what kind of mileage and, and how much quality of conversation I can get out of these stories, whether I want to make them big topics or whether I want to make them things we touch on briefly. But it seems like this week, uh, this is the segment that has the most amount of news, but we have a juicy quality of news in the main segment. So don't you don't you think we're blowing our wad early? Because we certainly are not. All right, guys. So our first one, we're gonna quote a little a little Windows Central here. You thought I was gonna start with VGC, but you're f- not right about that. All right, Windows Central says reports relays because they didn't report it. Microsoft said it. Microsoft has stated that Sony more than outsold more than twice as many PlayStation 4 consoles than its lifetime Xbox One sales, according to a new filing via Brazil's competition regulator. Now, of course, this is the same regulatory filings we've been sifting through these past few weeks, learning all about the back and forth between uh, Sony and Microsoft over this Activision deal. And we've gotten a lot of really interesting information. And so, you know, the, the, the well just keeps keeps flowing with this juicy, sweet, filtered water that we are using to bathe and and, uh, rejuvenate ourselves, where we are now learning that, yeah, for for certain, Microsoft is coming out and strictly saying PlayStation 4 more than twice, sold more than twice as many Xbox One units. And the reason why this is so significant, as many of you probably recall, Microsoft basically just stopped reporting numbers for console sales and game sales and things like that around the early Xbox One generation. Um, they were pretty. They were pretty good about it. Nintendo's always really, really good about it. Sony's pretty decently good about it. Xbox, you know, Microsoft became real sourpusses about it at the beginning of the Xbox One generation. Maybe understandably so. I mean, they're definitely in last place among the top three when it comes to console sales and things like that. So they they kept that stuff close to the chest, and that's you know that was the beginning of how we came to get the Xbox we're all familiar with today, where like a new game comes out like Halo Infinite, and instead of being like, yeah, man, we sold like uh, 8 million copies, they'll just be like, oh, wow, we uh, we had 14.7 billion instances of people um, uh, teabagging uh, NPC grunts in, in campaign mode, and it's like, uh, uh, people spent more than 7.3 billion trillion light years afk on the home screen of the game it's like yeah these these stats don't tell us anything we care about so 
uh, it is cool to see something, although not entirely concrete, it's or you know very specific. It is relatively um, affirming as to where Xbox One's lifetime sales ended up because we do know PlayStation Four is their lifetime sales are around 120 million or so, which would put Xbox One around 60 million or so. So you know rough numbers. It's crazy. And, and, and here's the thing for context though is like 60 million units sold lifetime is not bad. That's not bad. That's, I mean, that outsells, that outsells a lot of older consoles. That outsells most Nintendo hardware ever released, or main consoles, not handhelds. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really not a bad number. It's just that co- compared to Xbox 360, it's bad, especially when you consider the fact that the idea is that every console generation will outsell the previous one. It's bad, obviously. And compared to PlayStation's track record with their hardware, where you got, I think it's like, it, I, these are rough numbers. I think PlayStation 1 sold somewhere like 120 million units. PS2 is something ridiculous, like 200 million units. PS3 is around 80 million, which was a huge disappointment for them, but still relatively successful. And then PS4, we know, is around 120-ish or so. So, like, I mean, this is, when you compare it to their number one competitor, especially of the time, PlayStation, it's it, it is a huge L as the as the gamers would say, but I don't know. I I feel like this doesn't. I'm I'm not trying to like defend Xbox or Microsoft and be like, oh man, the poor poor Microsoft, this multi billion dollar corporation, they need my defending. But it's like I I do want to be fair that like if you launch a piece of gaming hardware and you sell roughly sixty million units, that's not like a oh fuck guys we're screwed you know abandoned ship like that's that's pretty good. It's just bad in the context of how the platform should have been able to perform relative to the previous Xbox generation and the competition that they were against and all of those factors. So, I don't know, for what it's worth. But I find this obviously quite interesting. Nintendo Switch sales right now are at over 110 million, which is just absurd. Nintendo Switch is, it's so funny how, man, my, my, my feeling about Nintendo Switch was like, obviously this is going to do infinitely better than Wii U, but I don't think Nintendo's really ever going to achieve Wii, like Nintendo Wii sales numbers ever again. And I was so wrong because Switch is well on the way to being the best-selling uh, Nintendo hardware, or at least home console hardware. I mean, it's got it's got a little bit of a hill to climb with um with the Game Boy and the DS and all that, but very, very, very impressive uh, how Nintendo's been able to perform with the Switch. Come on, Series X, let's see you get to 2.7 trillion units, million units. Let's let's do it. It's very easy to achieve considering the chip shortage we're going through. Anyway, I just thought that was really cool to finally get some form of a number, even though it is still relatively vague. Next up, guys, this is a nonsensical one, but we got to address it because it's real and, and real things happen. Guys, become Master Chief with the official Halo cookbook. As the article headline reads, Windows Central again. There is a Halo cookbook. It is now available. It is real. I know they announced this quite a while ago, but it is out now. You can buy it. You can hold it. You can read it. You can sniff it if that's the thing you do with your cookbooks. Yeah, the cookbook includes over 70 unique recipes inspired by the Halo universe. You can get it physically or digital. And I just, it's on Amazon, so Amazon, Kindle, whatever. But man, I just, I just want to emphasize how incredible, like, listen, as someone who absolutely adores Halo, and as someone who is, like, definitely a fan of, like, stupid culinary fucking bullshit, like, celebrity chefs and and Disney food and all this crap, I I cannot express how fucking dumb I feel like this is. Not because it's like, oh, people shouldn't be able to have fun. Like, this is a fun idea, and and I hope people do enjoy this and find some fun recipes out of it, but... I feel like one thing Halo certainly has not done well over the course of its many video games, books, and TV shows, and whatnot, is uh, 
really defined what is what makes halo food authentically halo food you know like we we get glimpses and and ideas little windows into like what food is like in the halo universe especially in the novels and a little bit in that terrible tv show we just got um but although i really don't count that um but like god almighty like what the hell is halo food and and like you can look through some of the samples and stuff on the screenshots of this book and it's things like it's like fucking unsc meatloaf and like uh, the, the Ma- Master Chief Man Burger or whatever the fuck you know like we, I know they did that like Mao Bird flavored Pringle chip which was fun a little promotion for Halo Infinite but it's not even like that creative it's more like classic American cheeseburger basically with a different name and I, I don't know man it's it just doesn't feel like something that the Halo universe was necessarily ripe with but here it is your Halo cookbook I'm sh- I'm sure it's fun it, you know if you if you like to cook for fun and you're a Halo fan this might provide some form of uh, entertainment and amusement and uh, potentially some some good eating for you, but I don't know. Mostly want to point out how goofy I think it is at Halo. You know, imagine like, here's the God, God of War. Here's the Gears of War cookbook. You know, it's like uh, locust stew. Ooh. Ah, I, I, don't you love when you get little kinks of your chainsaw uh, stuck in your fucking locust stew? Uh, your your uh, do- ha- hammer of dawn... Dish soap to clean your dirty dishes after you eat your uh, your heavy Dom Dom's Domino's pizza. I don't like what the fuck is food in these. I want I want the Forza Horizon cookbook. Okay, that's what I want. I want to fucking put oil like car oil, like engine oil, all over my goddamn salad and call it balsamic dressing. You know what I mean, man? All right. Anyway, let's move on with life. VGC next up. We gotta talk about. Some uh, Death Stranding on Game Pass rumors. Now, before you get super excited, I don't mean Game Pass for console. I mean Game Pass for PC. Let's dig in. The Twitter account for Xbox PC has seemingly hinted at a PlayStation console exclusive Death Stranding potentially coming to its service. On Tuesday, the profile picture for the PC Game Pass account on Twitter was changed along with a cryptic message, which fans quickly noticed was a landscape shot that can be seen in Death Stranding. The PC, it's important to note that the PC version of Death Stranding was not published by Sony, but rather by 505. This, would have, this wouldn't be the first time a PlayStation Studio title appeared on the rival service. As we all remember and know, PlayStation's own San Diego Studio released MLB The Show 2022 and 2021 on Xbox Game Pass. Death Stranding's director Hideo Kojima recently shared on Twitter that he's started editing a trailer that is awfully close to the game, Gamescom uh, opening night live, which we're going to talk about more in the, in the news later, um, which is coming up next week. So the timing kind of lines up, and we know... Hideo Kojima and Jeff Keighley, you know, Hideo Kojima, uh, founder of Kojima Studios and creator of Death Stranding, has a close relationship with Jeff Keighley, the host and uh, of, of the Gamescom Open Night Live event. So it seems like the stars are kind of aligning. We're getting a little tease for this. It seems like it's pretty likely. But um, and, and as we also know, Xbox Game Studios has a recently announced partnership with Kojima Productions, which has long been rumored, where the studio will create a video game for Xbox Quote, like no one has ever experienced or seen before, leveraging the power of the cloud. They basically haven't even started making the game. I think this is really cool. This is another one of those like weird technicalities where it's like a little bit of a knife twist for for PlayStation. Like, yeah, we got your game on our subscription service a little bit, you know? Obviously, the circumstances are a little different because PlayStation does not own Kojima Productions. They worked with them in a second-party capacity and published that game and funded that game. But the PC version, which came out a year or two ago, I believe a year ago, was um, 
That was that was published by 505. So technically, Sony's not in the picture of that port. So there's really no reason why it couldn't come to Game Pass on PC. But it is, uh, God, that's so, it's another one of those like kind of spicy jabs because even though it kind of wins on the technicality of, well, Sony didn't publish it on PC, 505 did. That doesn't matter because the majority of people who are aware of Death Stranding associate that as a PlayStation game. So to see it on an Xbox-related service still gives that kind of arbitrary but yet still necessary uh, optical win for Xbox of like, yeah, we got one of your games again, PlayStation. Come at us, bruh. So as we learned last week, (laughs) these two brands are a little petty with one another and a little bit of a, they are in a little bit of a console war feud with one another. So these things do matter. PlayStation does care about these kinds of optics. And it is funny to see that we might get another another one of these sick owns from PlayStation where um, Death Stranding might be coming to PC Game Pass. So maybe I'll finally give the game a try. But that's, that's, I, that's, funniest shit. All right, next up, this is one I'm particularly excited about. Skylanders and Crash Bandicoot developer Toys for Bob could be gearing up to reveal a new game on Tuesday. The Activision studio tweeted an image showing off 17 games, or the 17 games that they've already developed and released over the years. Um, and then there's a question mark with the number 18, hinting that they've got an 18th new title on the way. Toys for Bob is perhaps best known as a creator of the Skylander series, but most recently developed 2020's Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, and 2018's Spyro Reignited Trilogy. They are traditionally known for some work on Tony Hawk, a lot of work on like old Disney games during like like before the Xbox even, like PS1 era. Um, and then of course they they did like some Nickelodeon shit. They, I think they did like the Madagascar video game. And then when they were officially acquired by Activision, they basically got hard to work on, you know, things like uh, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro Remasters, Skylanders. They're, they're the all ages quote-unquote kitty game developer at Activision, um, which is, you know, you guys know how I love that shit, Avalanche Software and and teams like that. I love shit like Disney Infinity and old licensed movie games. So Toys for Bob, needless to say, has always been one of the Activision studios that most intrigues me and most excites me. And then we know that in recent history, they kind of got that treatment that all Activision teams are on now where it's like, oh, you make a game that's not called Call of Duty? Well, fuck you. Now you are support on uh, Warzone and now you are support on multiplayer for Call of Duty and whatnot. So to see that they are potentially teasing like, hey, we're working on a game. It's not Call of Duty. It's our own thing. Pretty exciting. You would assume that, you know, maybe it's a new Spyro game. Maybe it's a new Crash game. I think maybe they're making like a new Spyro game. I think that's probably the most likely. But God, just the, the idea of Toys for Bob being set free to go work on something that isn't Call of Duty and to go make a really awesome, all-ages, family-friendly game like they have done successfully and really well throughout history um, would just really be exciting to me. It would add a lot of variety to Activision's otherwise very one-note catalog. It would add a lot of excitement for sure and honestly make me a little more eager about Microsoft's uh, impending uh, ownership and overlordness of the Activision uh, teams and IP. So cool. I can't, I can't wait for this. Maybe we Hey, maybe this is a Gamescom announcement. You know, maybe that's why they're tweeting it and, and teasing it now. So look forward to learning more about this. No doubt for sure. Very soon. Hey baby. All right. And then here is the last super juicy story we got to get to before we get to the main news. Um, we have one more after this, but it's not as juicy as this one. This is the one I think is just so juicy. It's like a slug. It's like a slug you found under a rock after a, a, a night of rain 
and it's just it's glistening with that dew and that rain and it's wet and slick and you love it. You put it in your mouth and you go, ooh, needs a little salt. Anyway, VGC reports. Just Cause developer Avalanche Studios, not to be confused with Avalanche Software, the team making team behind Disney Infinity and the upcoming Hogwarts Legacy, of course. Uh, we're talking about Just Cause developer Avalanche Studios was working on an Iron Man game for two years. It was canceled, according to a revealed report from company co-founder Christopher Sundberg. Sundberg, who left Avalanche in 2019 to form a new studio called Liquid Swords, what a cool name, discussed the aborted project during an interview with MinMax. He said the open world title was canceled around 2012, following a couple of years in development due to the company's due to company politics. Disney and Marvel reportedly wanted Avalanche to staff up rapidly in order to complete the game more quickly than it originally planned, but Sunberg said agreeing to do so would have broken the studio completely. Quote, I was a mess by the end of it, he said. It was like shortening the development time, increasing the budget. We would have to hire 70 or 80 more people to the team that would have had the responsibility to find a new project for, but the development time was shortened down so much so that it was impossible to do i would have broken the studio completely if we agreed to do that he continued on at the end of the project when the team was scaling down that's when you have to find a new project with that one year development time cut from the original plan it would have meant that one less year to find a new project for a big development team which would have been impossible and the hiring of those developers would have been a complete nightmare so it was for the best sunberg went on to describe the game as a very messy project that could have been really cool while the game would have enabled player while the game would have enabled players to take off and fly anywhere, Sunberg said it had a heavy focus on melee combat, such as using Iron Man's repulsors to punch characters through walls. This is cool. I, lo- I love when you get these kind of candid, behind-the-scenes looks at things. It tells you everything you need to know. It's not like one of those leaks where it's like, oh, look, a leaked screenshot of a canceled Iron Man game that Just Cause developer Avalanche Studios was making a decade ago. It's like, no, no, no. Here's what happened, wh- what the game was, and why it never came to fruition. And I, I love this. I love these kind of juicy details because it gives us little people, you know, us non-industry people, some insight as to why certain projects take off and some don't and things get canceled and things, you know, are a lot more difficult than I think many of us assume for them to be or or know for them to be, um, which is why this is so cool. Obviously, Disney in, entirely notorious for just being absolute shit, and I won't, I won't sugarcoat this, absolute dog shit when it comes to understanding and properly capitalizing on the games industry, I mean, they've just been absolutely terrible at it. You talk about a mega entertainment corporation that has just had so much attention and just been such a massive uh, leader when it comes to movies and their contributions to animation in particular, music, pop culture, theme parks, themed entertainment in general, just everything Disney does and, and just how they've historically been the best of the best at everything they do. But then it comes to something like gaming, which is just something that Disney should absolutely be so incredibly cut out for. And they have just consistently throughout time sucked so badly at this. They're so bad at it. Um, which is why they, they're not in it anymore. They know they suck at it. <laughs> and that's why they have a team that's job it is to find people who don't suck at publishing and developing and working in the games industry to find the right partners to, to work with their IP for them. Because Disney can't fucking do it right. And that sucks because it is a crying shame to me that Disney cannot figure out Marvel correctly. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll, from a personal perspective, like, I think the MCUs are a lot, a lot of fun. I know a lot of people are really tired of it, and it's kind of become a punching bag for a lot of people. It's a way to, like, describe, like, automaton NPC-type people who just, like, consume the entertainment and don't question it. And, of course, you're going to watch it because it's the new Marvel thing. But I genuinely think the MCU 
deserves all the praise it gets for what it does because it really successfully does take the formula of like comic books where it's just like hey here's new fun shit all the time there's always a new story to tell don't take it too seriously the idea is that we're just investing these characters in these universes and we can always spin off something fun and new to do with it it's like playing with a toy and i love that and i think the the team at marvel that have successfully done this in disney's leadership or or maybe maybe it's a hands-off approach that allows them to successfully do this i don't know but the way the mcu has been handled i think has largely been incredibly successful obviously the money speaks for itself but i'm just talking about in terms of marvel movies stay fresh they stay fun they stay exciting you know if you want to be jaded about it and just hate it all you can be there are plenty of people to do that but i, I tend to think marvel's a lot of fun I, I always enjoy watching the next movie or show some are definitely better than others but it's always at the very least a good time and here's what i mean by that or or why i bring that up it's just so unfortunate that when it comes to movies and all that disney has done such a great job with marvel I, like I said, I don't know if it was it required a more hands-off approach so they didn't fuck it up, or if it's just that they're pretty apt and, and capable of handling this kind of situation that Marvel's in to make all these movies and TV shows. But it is so unfortunate that outside of that one thing of movies, they've completely botched the fuck out of Marvel. Like, Marvel is a no-brainer for their theme parks. Marvel's implementation of Disney theme parks has been abysmal, to say the least. There's no reason why... You know, we're looking at 2008 was Iron Man 1, the movie Iron Man 1. We're looking at, <laughs> we're looking at what is it, 14 fucking years of the MCU, and they just haven't been able to properly pull off good video games to, to coincide with the MCU or what's just happening in general. The only really substantial thing we've had since the MCU began that's like objectively like, whoa, really good Marvel game was the PlayStation Spider-Man game. And I know a lot of people love the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy game from last year. I thought that was pretty good as well, but that game was, like, good, not great. Spider-Man is, like, excellent. But other than that, it's just been dud after dud after just, like, long droughts of no Marvel games at all. It's like, what are you fucking doing? It just There's just... And, and, and I understand we're ramping up. I, th I think we're starting to see a lot more Marvel projects. Disney's approach to gaming now that they're no longer involved in the direct development and publishing of video games and that they have a more hands-off, let's find the right partners to work with kind of approach is definitely the thing that's working better for them. But this is so indicative of just a Disney that doesn't fucking get it. Think about it, 2012 was a year before Iron Man 3 came out. So we had Iron Man 1 and 2 and Marvel's Avengers, which had just come out, or the first Avengers movie. Like, what a fucking prime time to have an Iron Man game. And it, it, we just never got it. We never got it. We got some... Light licensed tie-in games from Sega, which I never played, but I actually looked kind of fun for what they were. But like, we never had like proper good games <laughs> during this time, and it's no fucking doubt. Mar like, you, you see this short-sighted thing that Disney did, where they're just like, "Hey, hire a bunch of fucking people and make this game faster. More people equals shorter development time." It's like that's not necessarily how that works. And also just like completely re like just having no regard or respect for how the industry works where, you know, uh, Mr. Sunberg is talking about how, you know, this is the, the juicy part, right? This is the inside behind how games are made, right? How, you know, if you're if you're a development team like this, especially you're working on an, a licensed product like Iron Man, you got to be looking out for what your next project is. You know, if it's a five year development cycle by year four and five, you need to really be saying, OK, 
what's the next game we're making once this game launches, you know? Because we need to start moving some of our team over to that new project. Not 100% of your team is going to be working on a game up until the day it comes out, you know? There's going to be milestones where it's like, okay, now this this part of the team, you know, the writing team is no longer involved in the project because we're in the last year of development, the project's been written, the VO's been recorded, everything's been implemented, we're not working on that anymore. You know, and so you start to take certain teams and you shift their focus like, hey, this is the next project we're after. If you had to just massively staff up, double your team, whatever it is, just to meet one project, and then reduce your game development time, that gives you no time to be like, okay, what's our next game? Okay, where do we put all these fucking people we just hired on? And it's just, it, I don't know, to me it's like so indicative of of Disney in general. It's just like, hey, here's money, we have IP, we have money, there's no way you'll say no to us. Make this thing for us under these ridiculous demands and, and expectations. And it's just like, no. And so, you know, thankfully the team had, you know, enough common sense to be like, no, that's not going to work for us. That's not the thing to do because that can devastate your team. I mean, just look at look at Marvel's Avengers from from um, from uh, Crystal Dynamics. Now, that wasn't so much Disney's problem. That was more Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics. But like it's like this mentality that's like, oh, look at the IP we're using. There's no way it can fail. But it's like you got to take these things into consideration. You need the proper team, the proper time, the proper creative freedom and flexibility to just make make the proper game. Don't just shit something out because you're like, Iron Man's hot, Marvel's hot. We got to get an Iron Man game out now. Because there's, especially back in these days, there was just too many studios where you saw that, where it's like, oh, whatever happened to that team? They made that really good game. Uh, they made that that one game, and then, what? oh, they, they went out of business. <laughs> you know? And it's like that, that, that kind of shit could have been avalanche. If, if they allowed for this kind of stuff to be uh, perpetuated more and encouraged more by companies like Disney. So it's unfortunate, you know, we as consumers never got a cool Iron Man game and Avalanche never got to make that cool game and everyone loses. But this is what happens when you have that short-sighted greed of like, we need the product now. L look at where Marvel ended up going eventually. Do you, think, do you think the world would have been any better or worse off if it took an extra two years to make that Iron Man game? God knows m fucking Disney has the money to float a project like that. You know? Oh, well. Cool stuff. Too bad. So sad. I'm sure one day we'll get a cool Iron Man game. In fact, there's a rumor that EA has a team working on an Iron Man game, so maybe we'll see something about that soon. All right, our last thing is an update. It's not a story of mild amusement. It's not a correction. It's an update. Last week, we talked about Unity and uh, the the merger with AppLovin and, and, or the AppLovin coming into the scene trying to jump in. Uh, while they were already in the middle of a merger with Iron Source. So, update on that story. Unity's board of directors have unanimously rejected the proposal from AppLovin for a merger of $17.54 billion. On Monday, the company said the proposal was not in the best interest of Unity shareholders and that they would now push forward with a previously announced deal to merge with another mobile tech firm, Iron Source. So, that is where they're continuing their efforts. Cool. CEO of Unity, John Richitelio. Says, we remain committed and enthusiastic about Unity's agreement with Iron Source and the substantial benefits it will create for our shareholders and Unity creators. Wow, what a fun, what a fun set, series of words to read. Cool. So excited. So again, that's like like last week, that's that's a story I simply just don't have the intellectual fortitude to discuss. So we will we won't. But there's your update. Guys, that's it for all of our stories of mild amusements and whatnot. Next, we'll move into the you know the other parts of the show, the the main news segment. But before we do, we never just jump straight in like that. We talk about the games we've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, let me tell you about what I've been eating. Now, guys, you know I've been trying to be good lately. I've been following a lot of recipes, taking inspiration from my my boy WP, 
No, that's not Windows Phone. That's Wolfgang Puck. I've been cooking a lot at home, trying to be more creative in the kitchen, trying to do a lot more from scratch. I made some bread this week. I made a cool little veggie, vegetarian dinner, a little, nice little sauce, compliments the bread. Some fun stuff. I've been enjoying it. But that's not what I want to talk to you about because that's not fun. That's not fun to listen to. What is fun to listen to is something I did on Sunday. Now, a good friend of mine had some extra passes to go to Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida. It's a theme park. If you don't know it, look it up. It's a nice little theme park. It's themed around animals. You can ride roller coasters and pet animals, neither of which I did because I'm a little bitch and I, put, I, I chickened out. But, you know, my kind friends invited my girlfriend and I out. We went out to Bush Gardens for a day, had a nice time. Bush Gardens is one of these parks. You'll find many parks do it. I know Six Flags does it. Um, I think some of the Cedar Fair parks do it. So many of you might be familiar with something like this if you've been to a theme park in recent history. But they offer something called all-day dining. And what all-day dining is, is you pay a flat rate per person, 50 bucks in this case, and you get a wristband that lets you eat at every restaurant in the theme park all day. The only stipulation is you must wait 90 minutes between meals. So you can't just, like, go to one restaurant, get an entree, Get back in line, get another entree, get back in line. You got to wait at least an hour and a half in between uses of the pass. But if you time it right, you get there early in the morning, you stay till the end of the day. If you time it right, you can get about five or six meals easily out of this. So for for 50 bucks, considering theme park food pricing, it's a great value, you know? And, and this is a theme park where, you know, like an entree costs like $18, $20. So it's, it's an easy, stupid fucking value. So we decided, fuck it, we did it. You know, it was my friend, his girlfriend, and then me and my girlfriend. So what we did was we got... We each got one all-day dining pass per couple, and we just decided to share, you know, each couple shares a pass because you're going to be eating so much of the day anyway, you don't need two. And uh, this ended up being a very interesting experiment, a very fun experiment because you guys know me. I love theme parks, and I love eating shit food. And so that's what this day was about. Was it about going to Busch Gardens to ride the awesome roller coasters? No. Was it about going to Busch Gardens to pet the, the tigers and the kitties and the llamas and the fucking kangaroos? No. Although I did feed a kangaroo. That was, that was cute. It was about eating so much goddamn food that you felt like dog shit for walking around a theme park for 10 hours. And we went, we had brisket barbecue. So basically, let me also say, every time you use the pass, you can get an entree with a dessert or a side item and a drink. So literally, it was like brisket barbecue with french fries, cheesecake, and a, and a Coke. And then it's like, all right, you wait an hour and a half. Then you go over here. It's like pepperoni pizza with a fucking chocolate chip cookie and a Coke. And then it's like, okay, 90 minutes later, it's like fucking chicken lo mein with beef and broccoli and, and uh, egg rolls, you know, in a Coke or whatever. So you you end up eating so much bullshit. Because, I mean, you got, I'm sure many of you know theme park food generally. Like Universal and Disney are pretty good about offering some legitimate food, generally speaking. But your average theme park offers like mall food court garbage as their food and man at bush gardens that 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 food it sure is something man it's it's not the worst it's not as bad as six flags food but it's not great and uh i ate probably four thousand calories that day worth of just absolute horseshit food like the fact that i'm still standing here not not completely dead from a heart attack is just mind-boggling but guys we did the all-day dining and i gotta say if you hate your body but you let you respect your wallet and you want to have a really interesting uh, experience at a theme park. You, you want to have a different kind of experience at a theme park. I know many parks do this. Six Flags parks do it. Kings Dominion, Kings Island, those kinds of parks, fucking Cedar Point, all that shit. You, you, you go to most theme parks, uh, at least in the States. I know they offer a program like this. Try the all day dining. It's not, it's not a bad idea. 
it's just a terrible idea is all. All right, that's it for what I've been eating. But guys, let's real quick talk about what I've been playing. I've been playing Two Point Campus. Now, before you're like, whoa, Jesse, that's really different for you. That's really cool that you're playing something different. I played Two Point Campus for about one hour. I've, I've not gamed a lot this weekend. I had a very busy weekend. I had to do my day job work over the weekend. And the past few days, I've just not been in a gaming mood. But I, I, I haven't spent a lot of time gaming. But I did try Two Point Campus. I downloaded it. I played it for about an hour. And uh, I'll say real, real quick right off the bat, this is a game... I need to play on PC. <laughs> I tried to play this on Xbox. I'm like, you know what? Teenage, child Jesse, whatever, would have put up with playing a game like this on PC or on a console. It's so obviously optimized and meant to be played on a PC, but I would have just put up with it and played it on my Xbox anyway. And now I'm like, you know what? I have a pretty competent PC that can run games. I should probably just play games like this on PC. So I'm going to give it another go, I think, this weekend. But I'm going to try to play it on my computer because I think it will play a lot better. Um, but that preference, preface aside, this game is funny. It's cute. It's a, it's a tycoon type game. I do have pretty extensive experience playing like roller coaster tycoon games uh, back when I was a kid. But that's about it, really, for this type of game. I never got into things like Sims, which I know is not exactly a tycoon type game, but it's, it is its own type of simulator. But, you know, this game intrigues me. The idea of it's like, okay, it's like a college campus. You can build it. You can make the students mingle and do stupid shit. And like, that's fun. I like this, you know, like putting the fucking girls bathrooms and showers and the boys dormitorium and shit like that it's like let's let's go let's do this kind of crap i just want to be honest with you it's just i played so few games this weekend and i played so little of this game i don't have enough experience to like be like yeah thumbs up man download this but it's like four gigabytes it's on game pass it's a day one launching to game pass it's fun if you're looking for something ridiculous and fun i think these games are really good for just exercising a little bit of creativity with like oh you can decorate and design and place things around but also because it's just really fucking fun to build things intentionally wrong and watch your little fucking lemmings just have ridiculous interactions with one another so i'm gonna get back into that hopefully I have some more to say on it next week but two-point campus is the game i dabbled in the only other thing i did even remotely gaming related was of course play a little more call of duty zombies but we don't need to talk about that you know I've been playing that fucking... I've been playing COD Zombies for 15 years. What do you want me to say? It's just the same as it's always been every week for the rest of my life. Whatever. Um, tried to play Halo Infinite on the stream, but my computer hates it when I play Halo and I stream at the same time. So that didn't end up working out. But guys, as disappointing as that may sound, that's it for what I've been playing this week. Sorry it's not more enlightening or exciting or um, thought-provoking or... Yeah, whatever. Who cares? It's literally just video games I've been playing. I don't think anyone gives a shit. But uh, with that all said and done, with our bellies full of disgusting theme park food and way too much of it, and our brains turned to mush with talk about how Jesse doesn't understand acquisitions and mergers of Unity and Iron Source... Let's get into the actual news, the actual meat and potatoes of Xbox on all the sweet, stinky stories that are going to help us understand, better, under, better navigate the landscape of Xbox. Stay tuned. All right, let's get into the big old news, starting with everyone's favorite, delays. So, remember how we're all like, Hogwarts Legacy is not coming out in 2022, it's getting delayed? We were all right. If you got... Hogwarts Legacy gets delayed to 2023 on your bingo card. Make sure you put a star on it because you got that one right. All right, VGC says reports, relays, WB, and port key game. Maybe I just don't know what the difference between relaying or, or reporting is, apparently. WB and port key games have announced that Hogwarts Legacy has been delayed until 2023. In a post on Twitter... 
the company said the following. Hogwarts Legacy will launch on February 10, 2023 for Xbox and PC. The Nintendo Switch version will launch later. Ooh, sucks to be you, Nintendo. Because Xbox do what Nintendo don't, baby. Quote, the team is excited for you to play, but we need a little more time to deliver the best possible game experience. In a video posted to Avalanche's account, Avalanche Software, not Studios, we're talking Disney Infinity, not just cause. But in a video posted to their account, Chandler Wood, community manager of the game, said, quote, you might be disappointed that the game has been pushed out of 2022. But we're excited to finally give you a release date that you can look forward to. Developed by Avalanche Software, the title is described as an open-world RPG that takes place or that takes players beyond Hogwarts to a new and familiar locations, to new and familiar locations, as they live the unwritten and embark on a dangerous journey to uncover the hidden truth of Wizarding World. Due to being published under Warner's Portkey Games label, Hogwarts Legacy was originally scheduled to release in 2021 for Xbox Series X, S1, and PC. However, last year, Warner Bros. delayed the game's release window to 2022, and it will now release in 2023. What is there to say? This is one of those ones where it's like, oh, this is a big, this is a big info dump. This is big news. We got to talk about it. Top of the show. But like, do we have anything? To, does it, is anybody surprised? Like, moment of silence for us all to think about it and reflect. Anyone have anything of any consequence to say to this like yeah man it's august and you keep saying the game is coming out this fall if you don't have a release date in by august for your fall game spoiler alert your game's not fucking coming out <laughs> like uh, modern warfare 2 has a release date god of war has a release date fucking batman gotham knights has has a release date fucking callisto protocol has a release date and that's coming out in december where are you at hogwarts legacy so obviously this was never going to come out and and you know, as I tweeted, once this was this 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 was this news was brought to us, Sonic Frontiers, we're looking at you next. We know you're getting delayed. Where you at? But more on that later. Um, so, I, dude, I don't know. Again, it's like same thing as always. I will just reiterate the same fucking garbage default response I have to this all the time. I will never be upset about a delay. You delay a game, it means yes, the developers have more time to make the game as fully realized as they intended it to be and we get a better product, and they get to be more pleased with the work they put out in the world, and it's a win-win for everyone. I don't give a shit about the development cost or how it hurts the publisher because they want to launch in this quarter and get this revenue. I don't care. I'm glad for the developer. I'm glad for us consumers. The game will be better because it's releasing in February of next year instead of November of this year. Cool. Although, I got to be honest with you, the one thing I will say is, you know, they, they never gave it a release month, but I think we all can agree that we, we were we were guessing somewhere around November. A four-month delay is kind of pulling it close because my guess is that this game is like at least six months out past November. So I wouldn't be surprised if in January we see this game get punted like April or May. That's that's I'm a little more like on the fence. It's a coin toss, but I could absolutely see this game get delayed at least one more time. You know, it's a fun game to play since everything gets delayed infinite amount of times anyway. But um there we go Hogwarts Legacy yeah, obviously the only bum part of this is like it's a very quiet holiday season we're heading into um, so to have a big meaty RPG like Hogwarts Legacy would have been really nice because it gives you the time to really indulge but next spring is really you know next late winter early spring whatever is really crowded we got a lot of shit going on that time so it's it's not you know it's not as fun when it's like oh great five new games I want to play are coming out back to back to back so that that's the less than exciting part of it. But, bro, I mean, if, if for whatever reason Sonic Frontiers doesn't get delayed, 
I will be playing a lot of Sonic Frontiers this holiday. Otherwise, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at you, Modern Warfare 2. You got to keep me busy, boy. You got to keep me busy. And you don't got zombies. You're Modern Warfare, so you don't got zombies. So that's going to be especially hard for you to hold my attention that long. So it looks like maybe I should be digging into those Yakuza games I got to catch up on maybe this, uh, this holiday season. I don't know. But there, yeah, there's Hogwarts Legacy. I I know zero out of however many of you people are listening are, and what do I mean, you people? Of course, I mean Xbots. I know, however many of you Xbots are out there, you're not surprised in the least about this news. But yeah, the game has been delayed. We will wait because we all have the patience of an adult, which is to say, we are used to being disappointed. All right, next up, VGC says speaking of the only game coming out this fall activision is granting early campaign access to those who pre-order the digital version of call of duty modern warfare 2 according to the publisher campaign early access will go live for digital pre-orders on october 20th more than a week ahead of the game's general release on october 28th that's eight days for those counting this grants quote this grants you up to a week of complete a week to complete the incredible multi-mission single-player globe-trotting operation before the full game launches on october 28th the quote says now of course as we all know eight days is way too much time to beat a call of duty campaign these things take one to two days at max but anyway as it says the promotion applies to pre-orders on any digital storefront so xbox does apply steam applies if you're on pc or even BattleNet if you're still using that shit the call of duty modern warfare 2 beta will be available to playstation players first don't you know as we talked about a week ago however activision has confirmed that the early release date for the campaign is not console specific there's no playstation favoritism it's just for everyone so that's that's great you just got to pre-order the game to get it there will be an open beta which will be available for all players in all formats while those who pre-order modern warfare 2 getting an extra period of early access activision is set to hold a digital event in september on the 15th where they will reveal more details regarding modern warfare 2 and more importantly information regarding warzone 2.0 and a mobile version of warzone but Obviously, people are clamoring for more info on Warzone because people love that shit. And uh, at first, I was like, okay, this this is this is a story that's like kind of a story of mild amusement. It's like, oh, here's a cool thing for those who care. But the more I thought about this, the more I'm like, mm, there, mm, this is kind of important because this the implication of you know what all this what all this means and affects goes extends far beyond simply just oh, Call of Duty players, whatever. I mean, if we want to talk about it from that perspective, cool. This is nice for people like me because I'm one of the people that actually does play the Call of Duty campaign when I buy one of these games. And so this is nice for me that I have the opportunity to play just the campaign. And then when the game fully comes out, I can play the multiplayer. So I don't have that like overwhelmed feeling of like, ah, I want to play multiplayer, but I also want to play the campaign. Which one do I start with? Which one do I go into next? How do I pace this? You sort this out. So cool. That's nice, you know, for those of us who are like me, which is probably not that many people because most COD players just play the multiplayer. But that's boring. We don't want to talk about that. There's not really much interesting shit to say. I think the interesting thing is here, here's what it applies. Now, we know that over the years, digital um, sales have become more and more predominant, more pervasive, more important. And we know, obviously, developers and publishers want digital sales because when you sell a game digitally, you're able to retain more revenue from it, you know? When, you know, if, if, if you buy... Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on your Xbox's digital storefront, Activision gets to keep most of that. They do a, what is it, it's like a 30% cut or something like that. They probably, a company like Activision might have a, a lower cut just because of how, you know, how how well they perform on that platform. So maybe, I don't know, maybe fucking 12, 10, 15% cut, whatever it is that Xbox gets. And then the rest is all profit, it's all revenue for um, Activision, you know? But when when you sell on a physical copy 
it costs you way much way more money. You get way less profit off of off the sell of a game. You know, you buy Modern Warfare 2 at GameStop for your Xbox. You got to think it costs money to manufacture and produce a physical copy of the game. GameStop gets a cut of the game because they have to buy it at a reduced cost wholesale from the publisher and then they have to sell it at the manager suggested retail price and so they make less money off that plus xbox gets a cut of it for being on their platform so it it becomes quickly one of those things where it's like it makes way more sense for everyone to want to sell their game uh, directly to the consumer on a digital storefront cut out the middleman this isn't a new idea this isn't a new concept we've been talking about this in gaming especially you know since the early xbox one days and even earlier than that into the 360 days you know this is not this is not surprising anyone but what is surprising here is this is a next step to kind of cut out the middleman in a little bit more of an aggressive fashion you know activision is no doubt the game publisher that playstation and xbox and steam and best buy and walmart and gamestop and fries electronics rest in peace and all these all these storefronts both physical and digital is the publisher that all of these guys drool for because they release that fucking game every 10 to 12 months that sells more copies than the fucking Pope has uh, believers of his cult. Like it is just, it is unfathomable how much money gets made off Call of Duty, how much, how much people's pockets get lined from the existence and sell of a new Call of Duty game. And so for Activision to basically just be like, hey, fuck you, Walmart, fuck you, Best Buy, fuck you, GameStop, we are knowingly burning this bridge with you to an extent. Amazon, because obviously people buy physical games through Amazon, they have no problem being a little cutthroat and kind of burning this bridge a bit by being like, yeah, we're going to offer a pre-order incentive that's not a stupid fucking poster or a cool clown costume multiplayer skin, but like something actual substantial content that people actually give a shit about. And this is good. like, for example, generally, like with a game like this, I would pre-order it a day or two in advance just so I can pre-download it and have it ready to go on my console. I'm going to pre-order Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 at least a week in advance now because I want to take advantage of this. Like, this is a good deal. This applies to me. This this appeals to me. Like, I will absolutely take advantage of this. And I, I assume there are a lot of people who will. And so, you know, if you're a, a, a brick and mortar kind of old school retail retailer, like this is a big fuck you from the most important publisher of physical video game media. So there, there are some serious implications to this. Obviously, Activision is trying to bleed this, this game for all the money it's worth. They want to make up for the past year of Call of Duty being lackluster by their standards, with Vanguard being less performative than they would have liked for it to be. They're trying to make up probably for all the fucking massive costs of shifting in the games industry and the cost of everything going up and just things being more and more difficult than ever before and more expensive than ever before to make video games. They're looking for ways to try and save their bottom line as much as possible. And they're doing so at the expense of their biggest partners over at these, at these, well, maybe not biggest partners because they probably sell the majority of their copies direct to consumer via PC storefronts and PlayStation and Xbox, but through some really major partners now you could if you want to play devil's advocate to this you could provide the argument well jesse it's important you know it would have been a bigger fuck you if if the deal were pre-order the game early and you can play the multiplayer a week early and then you'll get the campaign on proper release date because as we all know 
statistically, it's like a tiny, tiny percentage of people who buy Call of Duty actually play the campaign or give a shit about the campaign. The campaign exists purely as like the tech demonstration of the game and a way to market and sell the game to people. But the multiplayer is the real meat and potatoes. It's a real product that people are after. So by offering early access to the part that no one gives a shit about instead of the part that people are clamoring for, you know, that, that shows that they're a little more even keel about the whole thing. But I don't, I don't see it that way. I think this has more to do with um, them trying to give you the appetizer before the entree for the, for the sake of the consumer to try and control the messaging and the, and the rollout of the game and a lot less to do with trying to play a little bit of, of like, Hey, we're doing this thing. You don't like Best Buy and GameStop, but we're, we're, we're don't worry. We're not, you know, we're still going to give people a reason to come in and buy the game. So I don't know. I think I think there's serious implication about what this means going forward. Obviously, the trend has continued to go in the direction of people are adopting digital media. People are getting away from buying physical games. I know there's always going to be that group of people who love to own their games physically. I respect that. I get that. That's cool. But I mean, God, this is uh, this is the kind of thing that helps to accelerate it. Sorry if you can hear an ambulance or a fire truck or whatever that is in the background. What do you want? People out here making fires. What do you want? You know, got cavemen. I got cavemen neighbors. You got a problem with that? Next, we got a chunky one because in between now and last week's podcast, THQ Nordic had a big digital showcase. It was basically like their E3 blowout, you know, for THQ Nordic, where they highlighted and announced and showed off a bunch of games coming to coming, coming in the near future. Just games coming. Games that involve coming. What? You don't like your games to come? All right, so from VGC, they they put up this comprehensive list of all the big games that were announced during the showcase. I left out the ones that aren't coming to Xbox or were not specified to be coming to Xbox, so don't expect to see everything here. But, of course, the highlights are what we're going to first get into, which is the revitalization of Alone in the Dark and also AEW, um, a new wrestling game from the long uh, king of wrestling development, Ukes. So let's let's get into this. We'll go kind of in the order that's presented here in the article, and we'll comment on some of these. Um, some of these games are smaller. Some of these are pretty notable, and some I just don't really have anything to say on. Um, it almost sounded like I said seance. Hmm. All right. So the big the big game, the one everyone cares about the most, is Alone in the Dark. They officially unveiled uh, Alone in the Dark, a reimagining of the classic horror series. Uh, this is being developed by THQ's Swedish Swedish studio Pieces Interactive. It'll be a third-person single-player horror game. Um, it'll be. It's been in development for four years already, apparently, according to what was uh, what um, game director Michael Hedberg told VGC. So the game is being worked on by people behind Amnesia, Soma, um, and and uh, with game development design art design from people who worked on Pacific Rim and Evolve, and so notable properties here at play. Uh, but I, th- I think the big thing here with Alone in the Dark is that re- obviously Resident Evil really kind of reinvigorated the single-player horror genre when they when they started doing Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake, and we got Resident Evil 4 remake on the way, and Resident Evil 8 was a big, was a big um, um, success, and Obviously, like there's been a big research. Obviously, there's been a big resurgence in um, in this type of in this type of game, um, and so I think this is one of those things where a lot of people are like, "Hey, now's our time." You know, that's why we see EA being like, "Hey, guys, let's let's do a remake of Dead Space." You know, that's why this <laughs> we got Callisto Protocol on the way. That's why Alone in the Dark is coming back. And now, Alone in the Dark is kind of a weird game because it's um, I don't know. I feel like. I remember this game very specifically because I remember my oldest brother was really into it. And so I got to watch a lot of this game. But I remember 
being too young back in the day when my brother was playing this on PS1, I was just like, ah, this is not my game. This is scary. I don't like this kind of game. Kind of like how I felt about Resident Evil. It's one of those things where I'm very familiar with what this game is, and there's a sense of nostalgia because I remember it from my childhood, but I never played it, experienced it, loved or hated it, or had anything really to say about it. And then the series just disappeared for so long that I never had the chance to really develop any kind of thought or feeling towards the game, you know? I think there was some uh, Alone in the Dark game that was released in, like, 08 for, like, Xbox 360. Um, there was a movie that wasn't well-received, Shocker, um, earlier in the 20s, the O's, the aughts. But other than that, you know, this is a franchise that's been long dormant. And I feel like it's kind of taken them too long to get to this, you know? I wonder if Alone in the Dark has the cachet that they think it might. But at the same time, as long as it is a good game, that's all it needs is a little bit of cachet, you know, enough to where enough people remember that it's a thing and remember it was once a horror game. But then if you can pull it off and make it really good, then it doesn't matter. Then it's all then it's all positive news from there and people will be into it. Um, from what they showed in the trailer, it looks competent. It doesn't look as good as Resident Evil. It looks a little choppy. It definitely looks like it's in development. It looks a little more budgety than Resident Evil. But those observations, those aren't turnoffs to me. So I'm I'm interested in giving this game a go. Um, I would like I would, I would like for there to be more direct competition for Resident Evil. Does that make sense? You know, like I I, I want this shit. I don't, like Resident Evil is great, but I don't want it to entirely own the market. It's not it's not fun when it's like, hey, we have this whole genre of game that is dominated by one game and one game only. You know, it's just not so. I welcome it. Alone in the dark. Let's see what's going on. I assume this game will probably be out in the next year or so because they've been working on it for so damn long in secrecy. So uh, expect to see a lot more of that probably soon. Next, they showed rec Recreation. I want to keep saying Recreation. It's Recreation. Uh, like Rec as in like Car Rec. Ha ha ha. So cool. The new game is being developed by Three Fields Entertainment as a team made up of developers behind the Need for Speed and the Burnout series and combines... Uh, the, the two talents of each team and of each franchise to to make this new recreation game. Honestly, by the trailer, it didn't look anything like really like Burnout or Need for Speed. Definitely doesn't look like Need for Speed at all. I got Hot Wheels paired with Trackmania kind of vibes off watching it. It's a lot of like loop-de-loop crazy stunts like Hot Wheels. And the art style slash car slash the way the driving looks it reminds me a lot of Trackmania. I don't know if you guys are know, know what that is. Um, I think Trackmania was on Game Pass. If not, maybe it was a Games of Gold title once. But I have Trackmania. I think it's called Trackmania Turbo. It was released maybe four or five years ago. The game is fucking awesome. That game is so good, actually. Uh, Trackmania is a lot of fun. It's just super fast-paced. Little time trial speed, like, solo racing game. And so fun. Um, but this game looks cool. I, th- I think this game looks awesome. I, there's... I, I'm enough of a racing fan that like whenever a new racing game is announced, I'm like, oh, cool. What's this about? Like, is this something I care about? But also like not enough of a racing fan to where I feel like there are just too many racing games and I can't keep up. So it's kind of hard for me to balance. But I see a game like this and I think, okay, it's got destruction. It's got speed. It's got tricks. It's got fast shit. It's like fun. You know, it's got art style. It's not just like boring. Like, oh, look at the physics on this rotor. You know, it's like ah, actual like color and fun and silly shit. So a game like this appeals to my senses instantly and has me intrigued and I will keep an eye on it. But interesting because I feel like the trailer doesn't properly convey exactly what kind of game it is because they're describing it as burnout meets need for speed and it looks like neither of those things. Like I said, it looks like Hot Wheels meets Trackmania, but I'm I am interested to continue to see the more of this game. So we will keep our eyes out on recreation. 
Next up, they announced Gothic, which is a remake of one of the most iconic German RPG games ever made uh, from developer Alchemia Interactive. It will come to Xbox Series X and S and PC. Under development now, I've never heard of Gothic. I looked this game up, the original PC version, German-developed game. I've, I've never heard of it. It looks so entirely uninteresting to me, just... From what I could, from what I could see of this, it just—it's one of those like I'm falling asleep just thinking about it. So, um, pardon my ignorance. If you guys have experience with this this series and this is a game that means a lot to you, please feel free to school me. Like when I saw, like when the like when Pentiment was revealed, and I, my stupid ass was just like, "Oh, what's this fucking bullshit any crap?" And I was like, "Oh crap, that's the new game from Obsidian," and I wasn't even paying attention because I'm just. Too, I'm too basic. You got to put guns and army men in my face for me to give a shit, you know? Then next they announced Outcast 2. This is kind of crazy because uh, Outcast, old game, man, this was on. I don't remember what Outcast was even on. Was this on Xbox at all? It was on PC? I don't know. But apparently um, Outcast 2 was in development a long time ago, and then uh, the studio went under and the game was canceled. Uh, but now we're bringing back Out Outcast 2. So Cutty Cutter Slade is an... On a mission again, this is the description. The Talons are fighting a war against human invaders, and the Cutter and only Cutter can prevent the Talons from being exterminated by order to pave the way of the and end the conflict. Developed by Appeal Studios, Outcast 2, a new beginning is coming soon to PC and Xbox. It is a revived sequel, originally canceled due to blah blah blah, blah as I already went over. The Outcast is a game I never played, but I have seen many, many times before. It's a game I remember well from my youth, like seeing it like at Blockbuster and like watching gameplay videos of it and seeing it on G4 TV and stuff like that. It looks cool. I still think to this day it actually looks cool. It 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 it's I, I get all different weird feelings just looking at it. it. It reminds me of it reminds me of like fucking like Star Fox Adventure, which is a weird one to pull from. And Kotor, you know? It has a little bit of like a Bioware RPG kind of look to it. I, I don't know. I've never played this game, but I know it's a I know it's kind of like uh, seen as like a like um I don't know how do you want to say this like um like a precursor or a big influence to what would later become the third person action open world type game. Although I think the original game was pretty linear. I'm I'm not sure. Again, I never played it. I never really saw much on it. I, I suppose this was probably more like a cult classic. But this game looks cool. Like I I I've always seen the old one and was curious about what it was and knew absolutely nothing about it. And to know there's a sequel coming around the corner that's actually going to help reintroduce this franchise to people like me who are completely ignorant of it, it's going to be awesome, you know? Oh, yeah, look, here it is on, on Wikipedia. It says uh, it was considered one of the first 3D open-world video games in history, helped pioneer the modern action-adventure game. Yeah, so, I mean, that's incredibly important, you know? So to have that have that IP, even though it doesn't have that much cachet, but to have that legacy of it, I think it's really cool. It's cool to see them doing something with it and bringing it back. I'm going to keep my eyes on this game. It looks like it was at one point the first game was ported to Xbox One uh, a few years ago, actually. So, hey, look at that. You can play that. And they remastered it. So I might have to give that one a go. But, yeah, this game looks incredibly interesting. It looks like uh, it's weird. It's like sci like your character's a little sci-fi. You got, like, tech and shit and cool cool guns and stuff. But you're in, like, all these weird environments. Like, it looks like you're in ancient Egypt and then on a weird planet, dinosaur planet, and then a snowy tundra. And there's weird Star Wars animals and creatures you can ride on the backs of. So... It's very interesting game from a setting perspective, but I am uh, curious to see what this game is all about. Maybe I should go check out the original. Next up, we got another look at SpongeBob the Cosmic Shake. This is a game that was already announced, I believe. I just swear this is the second time I've seen this. Um, but it's a new third-person uh, third SpongeBob platform game, platformer, 
uh, developed by the same team that did Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated a, f- a few years ago. Uh, the new platformer will come to Xbox. And, um, blah, blah, there's no release date for it yet, but it will star SpongeBob and Patrick, and they'll travel to a multitude of different wish worlds, each with its own setting and rules. So that's actually cool. I, dude, seeing a new character platformer game, you know, that's not Mario, get released in, 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 in a time like our modern era is exciting to me, even though SpongeBob isn't necessarily something I look forward to in a video game. Um, I, I welcome this shit. Like, this genre is dying and definitely needs more love, and, and I welcome any and all of it that we can get. So, got another trailer for that game. No release date as of yet. Next up was probably the second biggest game they talked about, although I can't be bothered because I'm not a wrestling guy, but I recognize it is important. So, AEW Fight Forever. I guess AEW has, like, been a big... It's like a... I, pardon me if I, if I have this wrong, but it's a relatively new, like, WWE alternative, like, division of, of wrestling. And it's become incredibly popular in recent years, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, they're they're getting a AEW, which stands for All Elite Wrestling, a new arcade-style wrestling game. And it's being developed by Ukes, who you might recall were the developers of the WWE games for many, many years before 2K ditched them and tried to replace them with a cheaper developer. And that backfired, and the game was completely fucked and all this. So now they got the core talent, the big developer, behind a new game for AEW. And my understanding as someone who sees a lot of wrestling, because for whatever reason, wrestling is so incredibly popular here in Orlando, but has like no interest in it and no real knowledge or understanding of it. Uh, my my outsider kind of understanding and perspective and the, what influence I have seen is that AEW has risen dramatically in recent years in terms of popularity and enthusiasm. So the fact that they got the premier developer of arcade wrestling games to make their AEW game, whereas, you know, uh, 2K had to kind of go back to the drawing board and cancel last year's wrestling game altogether because of the failure of the 2020 um, WWE game. Like, that's a that's a huge get for them. That, that puts them in a wholly unique position. Like, this is... I'm talking about this is like if someone had a competitor to Madden and could get the upper hand. Like, there's potential here for this game to do very well. Kind of like what we're seeing with Pro Evolution Soccer versus FIFA. So... We'll have to keep an eye on that. That's actually a pretty decent, pretty pretty important story in the realm of wrestling games. Uh, next up, they showed Destroy All Humans 2 reprobed again. We knew about this already, but um, it's coming later this month. So they showed another trailer to, to you know capitalize on the fact that it's about to be out. So that will come out just like how Destroy All Humans 1 had a remake. And then finally, we uh, the, the last thing in, in other big important game was the, the teasing of an announcement of maybe another South Park game. So published by THQ Nordic. Uh, they they concluded their showcase uh, that they were working with the news that they were working on another South Park game. The live stream ended with the South Park Digital Studios logo alongside a snippet of audio from characters from the long running comedy show. Uh, South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone confirmed almost exactly a year ago that they were working on a new 3D video game, which is said to be developed at their in-house studio. The previous two South Park games, Stick of Truth in 2014 and Fractured But Whole in 2017, were developed in collaboration with Ubisoft. The latter was uh, created by... Um, Outer Worlds developer Obsidian, or I think the former was, right? Oh, no, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think it was, yeah, the first one was by Ubisoft, and the second one was Obsidian. Uh, Anyway, I never played the sequel, but I played the Stick of Truth. It was a very good game, actually. Yeah, Stick of Truth was originally meant to be published by THQ before original THQ went bankrupt, and then it it ended up getting picked up by Ubisoft and saved, and that's how the game made it to market. That's how Ubisoft got involved and ended up making the sequel. Um, You know, people might remember... Obviously, THQ went bankrupt in around 2010, late 20, early 2010s. 
Um, and then Embracer and all the THQ Nordic reformation, bought the name, bought the IP, all the shit. And that's how we have the THQ Nordic we have today. But uh, interesting. Obviously, we're getting another South Park game. It seems like it's a no, no doubt happening. Um, Obsidian is definitely not going to be involved with this one, I, I'm willing to guess. And Ubisoft probably not as well. So this is going to be interesting. We're going to see new developer hands on it yet again. And, um, man, I'm, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see more of this. Even though I never played Fractured Butthole, I heard that game was very good. And I'm just excited to see, not not because like I want to play it, but I'm excited to see there continue to be more success with South Park in video games because somehow, against the odds, they managed to make South Park a good video game series. <laughs> you know, we see these like sh- terrible throughout history, these terrible like fucking... I guess there was that one Simpsons game that people liked, the arcade one and the hit-and-run one. But for the most part, these Simpsons games that are terrible, those Family Guy games that are terrible, somehow against the odds, South Park ended up being the raunchy adult humor animated TV show from Comedy Central or whatever that ended up being good in video games. But yeah, I played Stick of Truth back when it came out. That game was great. feels like just a long season of South Park into a very fun, simplistic, yet competent, uh, linear, turn-based RPG. It was a fun game. Um, So... Looking forward to seeing more on that. Now, next up, our penultimate story of the week, guys. We got to talk about something that keeps eluding the podcast. We keep missing it, but it's important. It's coming soon. In fact, it's coming next week. We got to talk about Gamescom. Gamescom will be, you know, Gamescom, the biggest gaming convention in the world by by population and attendance. takes place in Cologne, Germany every year. This year, 2022, it will be back in person for the first time since the Black Plague. Um, So it's, you know, big year, very monumental, very important for a lot of people, very exciting. Well, Jeff Keighley started doing this opening night live, which is like a little E3 Game Awards type presentation to kick off, to kick off Gamescom. And this year, they're really merging it with Gamescom directly. It will be live, um, done in person instead of just all digital, like, like, like the good old days. And um, they're, they're actually teasing some, like, decent news, like saying, hey, there are going to be some cool surprises, like things you wouldn't expect. So we obviously we find this ex- exciting and interesting because we know the Summer Games Fest, which is the Jeff Keighley show that's done this summer around E3 time, was pretty underwhelming this year. So we didn't expect much from that. And usually Gamescom is never nearly as exciting as anything from, like, E3 time. So we kind of all default assume that this wouldn't be a big deal either, but... It looks like there's enough leaks and information and teases and promises that there might actually be some substantial news coming to the show. So let's kind of go over what all it is and and, and when it's taking place. Um, so Je- Jeff Keighley has outlined what to expect from the opening night live 2022, including some cool surprises and things I think people wouldn't expect, he says. Opening, li- opening night live is the Game Awards producer's regular pre-show for the game- German Expo, which is set to take place in Cologne as an in-person event for the first time since 2019. The event will kick off on Wednesday, August 23rd, and the showcase has included over 30 games, the German Games Industry Association previously said. This year, for the first time, Keeley will be joining a co-host from Germany uh, with GameStar's Natasha Becker sharing the stage. Speaking with the Twitter Spaces session on Thursday, transcribed by VTC, the journalists and presenters said that fans can expect a fair number of new games. New games. Interesting. To be part of the presentation, which takes place live in Germany. Quote, more than 20 games will be on stage. It's going to be a big spectacle, Keeley said. We have some very cool guests that are coming to Germany to join us on the stage, as well as to reveal their games and showcase new content. Keeley also revealed that certain new games weren't ready to be shown as part of the Summer Game Fest will be shown at the German show. Quote, we have a mix of games that have already been announced and a fair number of new games that haven't been announced as well. 
we've got some good stuff. We really have a good lineup uh, of companies that will be there. But I think what um, I think we've got some cool surprises and things I don't think people expect to be there. There are a lot of games. We're going to have two hours of content to show you, including gameplay clips, trailers, and announcements. This year has been a lighter year in terms of releases uh, coming out later, so a lot of this stuff will be coming in 2023 and beyond. But yeah, I think people will be hyped and very excited for fans. To, uh, I'm very excited for fans to see stuff and to be able to, uh, to be in the room. Opening Night Live will start at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time or 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time if you're a real human um, with a half-hour pre-show followed by the main event, which will last for two hours. And this will be on Tuesday, uh, August 23rd. So perfect timing. And then the actual Gamescom you know, conference the, or convention will take place um, the following day beginning Wednesday, the 24th through the 28th. It will be a hybrid event with on-site and online content as well. Whatever. This is perfect. This is like the first time, I think, in the history of Xbox On where a big gaming event has happened. And they're like, let's plan this around Xbox On. Let's be very thoughtful. Let's put the event on a Tuesday so that Jesse can watch it, cover it, write about it, think about it, and get it all prepared on a Wednesday so you can record it Wednesday and have it up and available for people to listen to on a Thursday. How nice. Thank you, Jeff Keighley. Thank you, Gamescom. Thank you, Germany. Thank you, everyone, for making this happen. I very much appreciate it. It's very considerate of you. So we don't have to delay Xbox on next week. How nice is that? But yeah, this dude, this is cool. Um, I, I will say, considering how incredibly lame uh, Summer Game Fest was this this year, we got a fucking like 30-minute ad read from Dwayne The Rock Johnson talking about his new movie, Black Adam, which has nothing to do with video games. Considering that, like... They're kind of talking this up and promising more from this than what we got during Summer Game Fest. At the very least, has me confident that we're we're in for a better, uh, you know, more a more um, substantial treat than what we got over this past summer, which was quite disappointing, if you ask me. They're they're d- directly addressing like, hey, surprises will be there, games you have not seen will be there. So I'm not expecting to be to see like. Oh, here's the gameplay reveal for Fable. Although that'd be cool because you expect Gamescom a European event. Maybe they'll focus on a lot of European developers. Um, Playground Games, British, pretty European if you ask me. Maybe you guys should be there and show uh, show us some gameplay for Fable, you, you, you dumbasses. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But um, no, I mean, this is, this is genuinely just pleasing to hear that, you know, because it's a two-hour event. Pleasing to hear that at least at this two-hour event we can expect to see some surprises and things that are at least more enticing than maybe what we saw this past summer. But the reason this does kind of also make me a little nervous or hesitant is that Jeff Keighley is spreading himself so thin with these three big events. He's got Summer Game Fest around June time. He's got Gamescom in August, which is really close to June. And then not far after that, in December, he's got the Game Awards. And when you keep making, you know, upping the ante, making these events bigger and bigger and bigger, all that does is kind of have to, like, forcibly water down the spectacle of the other events because you have to spread the love, right? So yeah, let's say Gamescom is cool. I just worry that it's like we're going to get robbed of some exciting announcements that would have fit perfectly at the Game Awards because now they're going to be shared for Gamescom and things like that. So that is one thing that does kind of bum me out is I I wish Jeff Keighley didn't have all these big events. I don't mind one in the summer, one in the winter. Like, that's fine. But having to have three or more of these, it's just, I feel like it's kind of one too many, you know? That obviously they're exciting. Everyone gets excited over these kinds of events because it's like cool new announcements. But I feel like the announcements, the quality of these events suffer a little bit because we have to have more of them, and they end up being these big advertiser blocks. You know, last last year Tencent, I forget the fucking name. What do they call it? Like level five or whatever. 
Tencent basically rebranded themselves for the American market or for the Western market as like level, I forget what it's called, not level five, but something like that. And they basically bought out and advertised during the entire fucking show. Um, and just no one paid attention to that. No quote unquote games journalist had half a fucking mind to be like, hey, this is kind of weird that Tencent basically bought all the ad space for this show and put themselves everywhere and just renamed themselves so that people didn't think about Tencent. Like, hmm, are they going to be back at Gamescom doing this? Are they going to be back at the Game Awards this fall doing this? Are these events becoming more and more about just selling ad space and less about actual fucking games? Like, these kinds of things worry me a little bit, even if we got some exciting announcements on the way. But, I mean, hey, Jeff Keighley is saying, you know, we got some exciting shit. So, at the very least, let's let's wait to see what, what there is to show. And then we can talk about it from there next week. So, obviously, this is a good way of setting up the stage that we got some exciting news in the week ahead. Although, even though I've said exciting about 100,000 times in vague terms, I do want to also cl- be clear these events have, like, usually, like, a 70% chance of being disappointing, a 30% chance of being solid at the, you know, solid to good. So keep your expectations in check just because they're saying it's going to be, you know, have a lot of pleasant announcements and new game announcements and things like that. doesn't mean it's going to be phenomenal. It just means it's going to probably pass the very, very, very low bar set by summer game fest this past summer. So I don't know. I am, I am optimistic and excited, but not like, not like, um, greatly. So because I, I do know, this will mostly probably just be an advertisement fest, and we'll probably see a Gillette shaving ad 20 times in the two hours. Um, so be prepared for that as well. All right, Germans, take good care of us. We, we're, we're in your hands next week, please. We'll talk about that all next week, of course, uh, on the show. Hopefully we'll be talking about how sick Fable looked in, in action, but probably won't be. So let's round out the podcast with our final news story. I don't know why I said that because round out the podcast is usually how we introduce the comments, but let's talk about our last story. It's a wrap up. It is coming from Xbox Wire. We got some new games coming in and leaving Game Pass to talk about. So available at the time you're listening to this right now. Coffee Talk Cloud Console and PC is, in, is now available on Game Pass. Idea Xbox title. It's been out for a while. People really like this game. I, I played a demo of this on Switch when it first came out. I kind of liked it. I, I would like to get back into this. Let's talk about the games coming soon to Game Pass. Midnight Fight Express, cloud console and PC, available day one with Xbox Game Pass on August 23rd, so you can look forward to that. On August 25th, we get the next two games coming out. Exapunks on PC, I need to look into what that is. An Opus Echo of Starsong, full bloom edition, console and PC. On August 30th, the next four games will come out. Commandos 3 HD Remastered on cloud console and PC, that's a day one Game Pass game. Immortality, Cloud Console and PC, a day one Game Pass game again. Immortals, Phoenix Rising, Cloud Console and PC, that's a pretty notable one. And Tinykin, Tinykin on console and PC. Again, another day one Game Pass game. So a lot of day one Game Pass games, that's pretty cool. I can't remember which one it was that looked really cool that I saw some screenshots of. I think it was Immortality, but um, where it's like a top-down uh, kind of twin-stick looking brawler. I, I want to get into that. Not twin-stick, but top-down brawler. I don't know. I need to look into that. One of those games looks pretty interesting, but that's all next week. But on August 31st, as you all know, it can't always be all games and fun. It sometimes got to be sad. You got to say goodbye. So on August 31st, the following games will be leaving Xbox Game Pass. And guys, I got to say that the list this time is uh, is kind of it's kind of big. It's like a, a lot of pretty notable games. So we're losing some good shit. Elite Dangerous console and PC, pretty notable game. Hades Cloud Console PC, very notable game. Uh, I, I never played that. Mist, Cloud Console and PC. NBA 2K22, Cloud Console, uh, Cloud and Console, another big one. Signs of Sojourner, Sojourner 
Cloud Console and PC, Spearfare, Cloud Console and PC, 12 Minutes, Cloud Console and PC, Two Point Hospital, Cloud Console and PC, and the last two, What Remains of Edith Finch, Cloud Console and PC, and World War Z, Cloud Console and PC. They're all leaving Game Pass. It's a lot, that's shedding a lot of good shit all on all three platforms that Game Pass is available for. World War Z, What Remains of Edith Finch, Two Point Hospital, 12 Minutes, NBA 2K22, Hades, Elite Dangerous. Those are a lot of really notable games. Pretty much everything there is like, it's not just like little games. It's like those are like some of the pretty interesting draws to Game Pass. So that's, I feel like that's maybe the the most we've ever bled good, like really notable content with one of these thing, uh, these one of these rounds of games leaving Game Pass. So pretty interesting. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our main news. Let's next move into our important enough news. These are stories important enough to wrap up or um, Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. Uh, so, of which we got a handful. So let's just uh, let's just work through them real fast. VGC says Warzone 2's release date has seemingly been revealed, which reportedly uh, via what was reportedly internal Activision documents uh, <clears throat> spotted by Charlie Intel via Classic WoW subreddit. Um, it looks like Warzone 2 is expected to come out on November 16th, just a few weeks after Modern Warfare. Or, uh, not Mar- yeah, Modern Warfare 2 comes out. Next, VGC reports Disney has announced a Disney and Marvel game showcase, which is set to take place in September and will feature a look at Amy Henning's new Marvel game that was recently teased and announced. The event, which will be hosted by Kind of Funny Games Blessing Blessing Jr., will take place live from the D23 Expo on Friday, September 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific Time or 4 p.m. Eastern Time if you're a real human. The live showcase will include content from Disney and Pixar games, Marvel games, Lucas games, and 20th Century games. In addition to an all-new announcement, fans can expect more reveals from titles included, including Disney's Dreamlight Valley, which we know is about to go into beta on Xbox, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which recently got delayed, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, which came out a few months ago, and a sneak peek at upcoming Marvel Ensemble games from Skydance New Media's Disney said in a press release. The Marvel game being held by Emmy Hennig, former Naughty Dog creative director, and one of the main forces behind the Uncharted series. In the statement earlier in the year announcing the game from Skydance New Media, Henning said, I cannot imagine a better partner than Marvel for our first game. Now, normally this, I don't know, maybe this should have been at the top of the show, but this is kind of a little more interesting than just uh, important enough to make the news, but not important. I don't know, it's weird. I be, uh, D23 is a very, very Disney nerd-focused event. It takes place in Anaheim, California every, every other year. Uh, it's kind of fucking weird that they're going to have kind of funny games uh, Blessing Junior uh, hosting it because it just feels like two very different worlds of mine colliding into one thing. But um, interesting. This is very like intentionally a like, gaming focus, like legit game focus. So that's interesting. They they mention Disney and Pixar games, which is like ooh. I know they're probably just talking about Disney Dreamlight Valley or talking about games that have already come out or something. But like, God for the love of Christ Almighty, can we please get a motherfucking game? based on a Disney IP that is not Marvel or, or Star Wars. Please, for the love of God, I promise you I'm not making this up. It is not a lie. It is not a government conspiracy. This is not some 9-11 was an inside job kind of bullshit. I'm talking for real. There are people who will play a game based on a new Pixar or Disney movie. I promise you, just put proper time and money and energy into it. It will be fine. Just do it, all right? But uh, obviously, we're interested in learning about Amy Henning's new Marvel game. This is very exciting. I, I we, we talked at the top of the show about how Marvel never gets proper treatment in gaming for the most part. This is a game that will undoubtedly, in my opinion, or or my, in I feel confident and comfortable saying this is a game that will probably 
take pr pretty good care of Marvel fans. Feed you well if you're looking for a decent video game set in a Marvel universe. So there's that. Next up, Take Two is making Middle Earth uh, a Middle Earth game with Weta Workshops. Uh, it is being published by Take Two's label Private Division. A new tweet posted by Private Division's official Twitter account announced the publisher is teaming up with Weta Workshop, special effects company synonymous with recent Middle Earth movies and shows. This is interesting to me because. I don't know why they're using Private Division for this. Take-Two is obviously the main publisher. Private Division is their secondary, smaller publisher they use for smaller games, usually indie games. Um, so for them to use Private Division for a Lord of the Rings or a Middle-Earth-based game, it's kind of surprising. You think you would you want to use your big guns, your Take-Two brand, for, for Middle-Earth, but I find that pretty interesting. Next up, VGC reports Capcom have announced that it will be streaming a two presentations during Tokyo Game Show this year. First presentation is titled Capcom Online Program. will take place on September 15th at 10 a.m. It will be pre-recorded presentation and will feature the latest Capcom news. The second presentation will be dedicated entirely to Street Fighter VI and will take place on September 16th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the only time zone that matters. This year's Tokyo Game Show will be a public physical event for the first time in three years since the Black Plague took place. Next up, VGC reports, according to Amazon... An official listing uh, titled New Tales from the Borderlands. The retailer says that the Xbox version of the game will come out on October 21st of this year, presumably available on PC as well. So we'll have to see if that pops up at Gamescom because that's probably where we'd find out about that. And next, VGC reports that Sega management has once again maintained that there are no plans to delay Sonic Frontiers following mixed receptions from fans and media and an outcry of fans saying, please, for the love of God, delay this game so it's not like every Sonic game and it ends up being mediocre because you push it out too premature. Following a quarter one briefing fiscal call ending in March 23, Sega Sammy Senior ex Executive VP Koichi Fu Fukazawa and Executive VP Makoto Takahashi answered questions on a number of topics. One question is whether or not they were interested in delaying the release of the game following fan feedback, to which they said, we do not consider postponing the launch of the game at this point. Sega's official English translation response reads, with the communication with users, we intend to, inf uh, to reflect on parts that can be reflected within the development timeline and to build empathy with users. Highlight that. Uh, Sonic IP is a mainstay, mainstay title. We will sell over a long time in the future, and we will still continue to strengthen in our next fiscal year onwards. Um, let's just stop there. I assume a lot of this is getting lost in translation. A lot of context is getting lost in translation from Japanese to English. But what the fuck? They're basically saying, if we're supposed to take this literally, they're basically saying, we no, we will not delay this game. You know, if the game needs more time, we're not going to delay it. Let's say the game comes out in three three months. We will use what time we have the next three months to reflect on the things that we can reasonably change and build upon before the game launches, and the rest we will just use. Uh, our, we will we will use as an opportunity to build empathy with our users. Basically, saying, "Oops, we're not delaying the game, even though this doesn't work, or this is broken, or this part sucks." Please forgive us, Sonic fans. And then they go on to say, "Sonic is a mainstay title that will sell over the long term future." That, that kind of just screams like, listen, Sonic's going to sell whether it's good or bad. It's Sonic. Fuck you. But then that flies in the face of what they've been saying for the past couple of years, which is like, hey, we're tired of Sonic getting shit on. We're tired of Sonic not doing well. We're going to take the necessary time, the necessary money to get the game right and not to release it premature. And they said earlier this year they're expecting Sonic Frontiers, their internal goals are for it to be one of the higher Metacritic average Sonic games. So they're expecting it probably to get a B score or higher um, as far as Sonic games go. So 
clearly this is just flying in the face of everything they talk about. So I feel like there's some massive loss in translation situation happening here. But maybe they're more confident in what the game is and that it's ready for prime time and that's what they're getting at. I don't know, but that's the crazy fucking quote. Anyway, next up, VGC says the game engine developer Unity has won a contract to assist the United States government with digital simulation technology. The company announced Tuesday that it signed a multi-million dollar partnership with CACI International, a company which provides the United States government with surveillance technology across several governmental branches. Through the relationship, quote, with Unity will help the government defining human machine interfaces, or HMI, for aerospace applications and beyond, said Mark Witten, a senior VP of Unity via Bloomberg, who's probably an evil piece of shit, on the company's earning call on Tuesday. He says the contract is said to be the Unity's single largest digital twin solution for a deal uh, for Unity to date, according to the Unity, will secure Unity's platform for the future. System does... As reported by Vice Publisher last year, detailed how employees had spoken out against the company's previous work with the United States government. According to Vice, the company was struggling to explain with its employees who supposedly signed to create tools that empower game makers are now directly or inadvertently developing technologies for militaries with the stated objective of fighting wars. Kind of like Microsoft has done in the past by fucking using Xbox controllers to control drones, which are inevitably used to drone strike innocent little fucking children in places like Syria. Mmm, so cool when our video game developers get put in positions where we get to make accessories and software and programs to help our government literally rob the American people of tax dollars so we can kill innocent people all around the world and police people who are not our fucking business to be policing. Isn't that so goddamn cool? Awesome, Unity. Your CEO is so awesome. Go fuck yourself, Unity. I'll make my game an RPG maker because you suck. Also, lastly, but not leastly, VGC reports that Capcom veteran Hiroyuki Kobayashi has revealed on Twitter that he has left Capcom for net ease. The producer who spent 27 years at Capcom began his career as a programmer on the original Resident Evil. He would then go on to serve as producer for the Dino Crisis series franchise. Speaking of games that should make a comeback. Quote, after serving 27 years of gratitude, I have departed Capcom on March of... 2022 and will be officially joining NetEase Games as a producer, Kobayashi says. I will strive to and take money from communist China. It's not like there's anyone else in this industry who would ever hire me. Poop out of my butt. Okay, that's all the news, guys. We're done. Yay. Goodbye. Have a great week. No, unfortunately, or fortunately, we're done with all the sad news. We're done with all the bad news. We're done with all the good news. But we're not done with your voice. That's right. I'm calling on you, the goddamn people who have the opportunity each and every week to ride into Xbox on and make your case and say, Jesse, stop being so goddamn political. Video games are not political. When you play a game about a world war, that's not political. That's a video game, goddammit. But when I see two gay characters in a video game, that's politics and I won't stand for it. And I'll be like, what the fuck are you on about, you fucking tiny child? But thankfully, Xbox on hasn't cultivated a crazy audience like that. No, 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 no. Xbox on audience is more like, hey, what's better tuna salad or egg salad i'm like thank god i'm speaking with normal humans but anyway this is how we round out the podcast every week you head on over to youtube.com if you want to join the conversation you click on the xbox on podcast it's the name of the channel look at the latest episode and that's where you're going to want to leave your comment say something nice like jesse i hope that you're drinking lots of water because we want you to stay hydrated so you can continue to make more podcasts for us to listen to or you can say something really dumb like jesse i hope you only drink soda so that your pee is so yellow that you turn mellow. Mellow yellow is better than Mountain Dew. And I would say, God, guards, take this man away. 
But thankfully, no one wrote in with that heresy. And so we have six comments to go through from you guys in the audience. And I'm excited to read through each and every one. But I will now slow the speed of the podcast down to half speed in a Microsoft speech speech program, speech assistant program voice. So we're going to talk like this. No. We're going to read like normal because we don't have all the time in the world. Okay, guys, time is of the essence. Mr. Malg writes in with our first comment. We're talking Xbox Elite controllers and coffee here. Mr. Malg writes in says, Looks like we both made grilled cheese sandwiches. Only yours was gourmet and mine was high protein. I had the exact same train of thought with the Elite controllers and decided to wait for the Xbox Elite Controller 3 just so it can be on one that matches the Series X control design. Also, peppermint milk sounds like it would be good with my coffee. Peppermint milk with your coffee? Yes. Because we know they make peppermint coffee creamer. It's great for Christmas time. Mr. Maug, yes. Please tell me about why your grilled cheese was high protein. Because cheese is not protein. Cheese is cheese. So go on. And then, as for the Xbox Elite Controller 3, listen. You got a sample size of two people. You got me and Mr. Maug here saying, We didn't buy Xbox Elite Series 2 because it came out too close to Xbox Series X. Please do an Elite Series 3. So it can so it can mimic the design language of the series controllers. Please and thank you, Xbox. That's all I'm asking for for Christmas. Next, let's talk about our hobbies. We have more video game stuff to talk about, but I'm doing a ridiculous order this week. Acting Basher writes in. Acting Basher, one of the best commenters in the world. We have some of the best commenters here on the show, folks. It's seriously, I was just the other week talking to some of my commenters, and they're so great. They are the best commenters in the world. These commenters are not your average baby commenters. These are cold-blooded killing commenters. Acting Basher is one of them, and he writes in and says, Great show as always. Out of curiosity, I wanted to know what kinds of hobbies everyone has here. Minus gaming. For me, I'm into things like bonsai, miniature Japanese trees, Magic the Gathering, and I enjoy collecting insects. Acting Basher, you are a nerd. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's cool. I, I, I actually I actually love this comment, and I appreciate you writing it with this. I think this is a lot of fun. Obviously, we all have some commonality here with our love for Xbox, and so this gives us the opportunity to further bond and, and learn about the kinds of things you know we cross-pollinate on and have some um, similar likes and, and things like that. So I, great comment. I appreciate it, Acting Basher. Also, I, I love bonsai. I think bonsai is awesome. I went to a Japanese festival once for a school project when I took a Japanese culture class in college as a blow-off class because I was having a bad semester and needed to reduce some of my stress. So I took a Japanese culture class and I went to a Japanese fest to cover for a project and I went to a whole seminar about bonsai trees and it was really interesting and now I really like bonsai as well but I would not identify that as one of my hobbies. You'll have to wait for me to answer further. Also Magic the Gathering, I used to play that in high school. I used to go to a trading card place late at night that was open until like 3am and people played Magic the Gathering in Yu-Gi-Oh all night and eat Butterfingers and drink Dr. Pepper. And also, you, you collect insects dude, you are fucked man. A acting Basher, can I hire you please to come to my house in, in in my apartment and collect the insects away from me because I don't there's so many insects in Florida please move to Florida we have infinite insects there's so many goddamn insects Disney literally has an entire attraction about insects it's called it's tough to be a bug it's a Disney's Animal Kingdom it's a great show alright Heinz Dampf wrote in and replied to you again Heinz I'm so sorry if I fucked up your name but goddamn it I can't read for shit you said I rarely play video games anymore but I actually started building RC scale crawler in Gunpla Gundam plastic models during the pandemic bonsai are amazing to me so look at that we all like bonsai we have some commonality there also plastic models of gundam are fucking cool that's that's that is a cool thing to do i used to i used to make model cars when i was a kid but i sucked at them 
and I don't consider that one of my hobbies, but that is cool. I, I think you guys have some cool hobbies, which means you're cool people, and of course, why wouldn't you be cool people? You listen to Xbox On, which means you probably have a massive erection lasting longer than six hours, you need to see a doctor, but you also probably just have a big schlong, so guys, thanks for writing in about that. I don't know, I mean, I, I think I, I, I talk way too much about things that aren't relevant to the show, so you guys know I, I would say what some of my hobbies are for sure. Obviously, I would say my number one hobby, my true love and passion of all time is Disney theme parks in particular. I absolutely am just an absolute sucker bitch for all things Disney vacation stuff. Like their theme parks, their cruise line, their hotels, their restaurants, all of that. It brings me so much joy in this world. I, I, I never want to pursue a job or a career path with Disney or any kind of fan-related project or anything like that because for me, like, I want everything I do with Disney when going to the parks, going to one of the restaurants, going on a Disney cruise, anything like that. I always wanted to just feel like I'm tuning out of the world and I'm on vacation. It is something that means so, so much to me. I love Disney, especially from a historical perspective. Their attention to detail, their theming, their just immersion and world building. It is next level. It's, you know, when, when you experience a good ride at a, at a Disney theme park that is truly immersive and storytelling at its finest, it, it is more captivating to me, at least, than any book I've ever read, any video game I've ever played, any movie I've ever watched, I truly love it to death. Obviously, that's that's my thing. I do not make it. Uh, I do not. I do not make that seldom known. That is something I talk about almost every fucking week. So you got, you know that about me. Obviously, video games. Um, I'd say other than that, dude, my my big passions in life are music for sure. I've had an on and off again relationship with music. I, I feel like I had to break up with music for a while there. Um, I've actually been kind of redeveloping a love for music uh, the past year or two, um, especially just with my new. You know, I, I grew up on a lot of like emo music and post-hardcore music and punk music, and that stuff still means the world to me. I love that music so much. Um, but I've grown quite an affinity and appreciation for a lot of like of like Japanese future bass, like electronic music and like chip tune and just awesome shit like that. Like artists like Anamanaguchi and Hyper Potions and shit like that. Just completely like re reopened the door, the world of music to me, and made me a, a fan in an all new way again. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love that shit. I, 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 I'm a person with many, many hobbies. I am an expert in zero of them. I know a lot about pretty much none of them. Maybe Xbox is the thing I know the most about. I don't know. I have like, I, I'm interested in cooking and food on and off. Food's a big hobby of mine, of course, but it's always annoying when people say food is a hobby. It's like, who doesn't fucking eat, you idiot? Um, I, I, li- I like cars a lot, although I'm definitely not. I, I'm kind of a layman with cars, but I, I enjoy cars quite a bit. I enjoy car culture, JDM cars, a lot of... Uh, Rice racers, cars that are just fun to drive, old stick, 90s Hondas, shit like that. Tech, I love phones, computers, laptops, consumer tech products, these kinds of things. So, I don't know, I have a multitude of random hobbies. I'm, I'm always finding some stupid thing to be obsessed about. You guys, if you've listened to Xbox for an extended Xbox on for an extended period of time, you know every week it's like, guys, I love Hot Wheels. No, I love Chuck E. Cheese. No, now I love Golden Crow. Fuck you. Now I love fucking... Um, studying airline schedules. I don't know. I'm always into something stupid. So that's me. But I, I love this question, Acting Basher, and I appreciate you writing it about it. And I, I'd love to open this to other people. You know, there are people who have regularly commented in on the show for a long ass time. And I'd love to hear from some of you guys. What are what are some of your hobbies? Or if you've never written into Xbox on, this is a great opportunity to write in for the first time. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you like, who you are. Tell me your favorite video game. Tell me what you like outside of video games. Tell me who your celebrity crush is. I'll go first. I like Zoe Saldana, the girl that plays Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy. She's so cute. All right, next up, let's talk multiverses because we must, because people won't shut up about it. Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Activision used to be cool. Anyways, had the double beef burrito from Taco Bell, $2, because I'm cheap bitch, but you said beach. Not bad for $2, two of them for $2, rather. 
That filled my tummy. Been trying to go through Far Cry 6. I've beaten Crash Bandicoot 4. So one more is off my backlog. Currently, I have seven games left on my backlog to get through. Multiverse Season 1 starts Tuesday, so that's great. It's been really fun if you like Smash Bros. Bugs Bunny is my main. Any new Oculus games you recommend? Just downloaded Cooking Simulator VR and haven't played yet. And The Exorcist, which I played 10 minutes of to spooky bout to poo-poo. Activision's really only got good games when... Uh, or only good games were Tony Hawk and Spider-Man back then. I love how you open by saying, Activision used to be cool, and then you end by being like, Activision's cool games were Tony Hawk and Spider-Man, but now they're not cool. And then everything in the middle is like, I ate Taco Bell. I played a game in my backlog. Multiverse is getting season one content next week. Bugs Bunny's my favorite character. Do you have an Oculus Quest? It's like, what, bro, headhunting Halo. You continue to be my favorite commenter because you're so fucking crazy. And I love it. Uh, but you're not my favorite. You're, you're one of my favorites because my favorite of course our OG dead Captain James fuck you you'll never be as good as him spend the rest of your life trying to trying to surpass him you will fail but thank you for writing in I love you Headhunting Halo and I appreciate your comment um, I don't have any new VR games to recommend because I haven't played my VR in a while since I had the plague a month or so ago I disagree with you wholeheartedly I think Activision has historically put out tons of great games of course Tony Hawk and Spider-Man were some of their absolute best but I think Tony I think Activision Tony I think Tony's put out some great games I think Activision's put out fantastic games over the years just not always consistently putting out good shit here and there guitar hero is great uh, prototype people love that game fucking crash and spyro they own that shit now the, the great games throughout activision's history um but uh we won't have to get into that no i haven't played multiverses again i don't enjoy games like smash bros when i was younger i really liked smash bros but nowadays i i feel like i got my fill of that genre i don't need to play it anymore but if i wanted to play that genre I would play Smash Brothers because I have it and it is the superior version of that genre. I know multiverse is cool. I appreciate that it's free to play and it opens the genre up to people on other platforms. I like that and I'm happy about that and it's awesome. But why, when I own a Nintendo Switch, when I own Super Smash Bros Ultimate, why would I subject myself to a lesser version of this type of game when I could just go play the real deal? So that's my that's my two cents on multiverses. I don't mean to be mean. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad Bugs Bunny is your main. My main would absolutely have to be the um, Shaquille Dawson's Creek. Whoever, I don't know who the fuck's in the game. Anyway, let's talk about food and other nonsense because the last three comments just had to do with a hodgepodge of video games here, food there. Mojo Jojo writes in and says, Mustard on a grilled cheese that's actually grilled gross, bro. As a teenager, we'd get high and go to Golden Corral just to people watch. I remember seeing an obese lady in a motorized wheelchair with an oxygen tank in between trips outside to rip butts, shovel mac and cheese into large Ziploc bags and put them in her purse, purse while her obese husband, also in a wheelchair, wrapped steaks in tinfoil and put them in his cargo pockets. Real American heroes right there. God damn it, Mojo. Secondly, hot sauce on potato salad for life. Fight me. And lastly, but not leastly, I'm literally short-circuited hearing the phrase, there's not many cool characters in Star Wars. Come out of your mouth. Seriously, bro. And hey, Halo's characters are, are better. Lucasfilm puts out a count of 21,647 characters. So do the algebra, pal. And Yoda is not cool. A little green dude who's, a hundred, who's hundreds of years old could lift your podcast up with just his mind. Come on, bro. Really? Mojo, I love this side of you i love this 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 comment it's so it's so fiery and i want to respond to everything you have to say here it's so good first of all mustard on grilled cheese don't knock it till you try it it's wolfgang puck's recipe and wolfgang puck knows what he's talking about butter in the pan sourdough bread maybe a little provolone some prosciutto some hard salami you know and then a little bit of a stout mustard or a deli mustard and a little bit of diced up jalapeno what you're missing here is you're like 
mustard on grilled cheese, that's gross because you're probably thinking of like fucking Wonder Bread with Kraft American Singles. I'm not talking about a baby's first grilled cheese. I'm talking about a real Austrian fucking next level uh, Spago tier grilled cheese sandwich. I'm talking about you're putting some cured ham type meats in there. I'm talking you're putting jalapeno in there. I'm talking you're using fine cheeses. When you think about it like that, mustard doesn't really sound out of place. Now, does it? See, you're just trying to make me look bad, Mojo, and I don't appreciate it, but I will tolerate it, okay? Now, as for Golden Crowl, that's a really sad story, and it kind of paints exactly what I think the experience of Golden Crowl is probably for most people who ever go there, so I can't fault you for that. I think you you, you painted the picture well. <laughs> Um, I'm glad to see that the Golden Crowl experience wherever you live is basically the same as where I live. Um, but the hot sauce on potato salad, I will not fight you on that. Um, putting a little Tabasco or Texas Pete or whatever the fuck on your potato salad sounds like a wonderful idea. I, I think that is a natural fit. I don't think there's anything controversial about that. I think anyone who enjoys hot sauce would like to add a vinegary hot sauce into their potato salad. I think uh, it's a match made in heaven. So won't argue there, but I will argue with you on the Star Wars versus Halo thing because, bro, you literally just argued for quantity over quality. I don't give a shit that that Star Wars has 21,000 whatever fucking characters. 99% of them are garbage, okay? Star Wars doesn't have cool characters. Halo has cool characters because in Halo, you got uh, Sergeant Johnson. I don't know. What do you want me to tell you, dude? I just, I like Halo. I, I think Halo's characters are cool. I don't like many Star Wars characters. I like Kylo Ren. I like Qui-Gon Jinn. I like Obi-Wan, uh, but not the Obi-Wan from the original movies, the Obi-Wan from the prequels, because he's better. I like, that's about it. Han Solo and Darth Vader are pretty much the only cool characters from the old Star Wars. Um, I guess Leia's, Leia's okay. Yeah, Star Wars has many, many characters. I'm familiar with it. They don't have that many cool characters, though. I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel. Finn was a cool character, and they butchered him. Captain Phasma was a cool character, and they did nothing with her. There's the, I'll say that. I'll also say Fire Team Osiris and Halo 5 were a bunch of cool characters that were entirely underutilized. So if you want a Halo equivalency, I'll bash on Halo as well. Um, but yeah, man, I, dude, you're not going to convince me. You cannot convince me for a single goddamn second that Yoda is cool. I know what he's capable of. I know that I get that he's powerful, and I get that he's wise. But being powerful and wise does not make you cool, you know? You don't get to be a little fucking green puppet and suddenly earn my respect. You got to do something cool. He doesn't look cool at all. How many fucking kids are out here dressing up as Yoda for Halloween? Raise your hands, kids. That's what I fucking thought. You know what green character they are dressing up as? Master Chief. Suck it, Mojo. Rest my case. Heinz Dampf writes in the second time in a row, which means I, I didn't must have not offended him with my poor pronunciation of his name, and says, Hey, Jesse, we only flavor our milk here in Germany with milk with or, or milk in chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry nowadays. Good to see you changed your ways in Germany. Uh, Fanta came back with a special edition based on milk a few years ago, but sadly I missed it. I basically stopped playing Xbox a few years ago on a regular basis because I became a dad. Stop there for a second. Congratulations on fatherhood. I hope it's treating you well. Five times a year, we meet up in real life to play some Xbox, and I still love the brand, of course, and your podcast. I listen to Xbox, too, from time to time, but found other podcasts to be rather bad. Or am I missing something? Greetings from Orange Milk Psychopaths. Uh, yes, you guys are psychopaths, apparently, if you're drinking orange milk, but I am glad to see you Germans have turned it around, turned the ship around. You said, no, fuck it. We'll do vanilla, we'll do chocolate, we'll do strawberry, and we'll host Gamescom, but we will not do orange milk anymore. So I'm glad you guys have uh, corrected the error, the error of your ways. I mean, I appreciate the kind comment yet again. Uh, it's great to have you write in. 
I do. I do want to. I do want to give a little bit of shout out and respect to some of the other Xbox podcasts. I would like to say I, I don't want to pretend for a single goddamn second that Xbox on is like a serious Xbox podcast that stands in like the the fucking rankings of the notable Xbox podcasts. Your Xbox twos, your your podcast unlocks, and all that shit. Like there, there. This is not. This is not like an actual Xbox podcast that I think anyone really notes or, or you know, I, I greatly appreciate all of you that do listen to this podcast, but this podcast doesn't do the numbers to be like a serious contender for like one of the definitive Xbox podcasts. But the fact that you, you enjoy it or think it's the greatest Xbox podcast, I think is incredibly humbling and I greatly appreciate it. It's very rewarding and nice to hear that. Um, but I do want to say, I, 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 from what I observe as an outsider, it seems like the Xbox fan community is at least towards each other. Not, maybe not so much when it comes to like talking about PlayStation people and shit, but the way we treat each other, the way they treat each other, I think is generally kind of endearing for considering how toxic video games usually are and the video game um, fandoms generally are. I, I, it really warms my heart to see that um, within the community of like the various Xbox podcasts and Halo YouTubers and Xbox YouTubers, it seems like mostly everyone is really friendly and kind to one another, which I really appreciate and respect. And so I, I do want to just say like just that alone, the fact that there's a lot of mutual respect and kindness towards one another makes me have a lot of respect for, you know, even though I don't listen to really any other Xbox podcasts because I don't want to influence the way I conduct this show. I do have a lot of respect for those other guys. I'll always love Ryan McCaffrey. I used to listen to, that, to podcasts and lock like crazy. That show, at least back in the day, I thought was so, so good. I think Ryan McCaffrey is an excellent dude. I, I really enjoy his commentary and think the world of him. Um, I haven't listened to that show in a long time, so I can't speak to the quality of it now, but I'm sure it's still great. I never listened to Xbox 2 or X, Xcast or any of these other Xbox podcasts. Um, I, I know there are a lot of really popular ones, really well-beloved ones. I know Jez Corden is a really big uh, commenter within the Xbox sphere, and I, and I know he seems to, again, be another one of those really positive people where he does a lot of great reporting, but he's also a very nice guy. He reaches out to everyone. He's kind to everyone. Um, he doesn't let you know his audience size prevent him from talking to just any old guy on Twitter. Um, he guest stars on all the other podcasts. So I, I have a lot of respect and love for the Xbox games community. Um, the only Xbox podcast I've ever really listened to in any capacity was um, Defining Duke, which is a relatively new but pretty popular Xbox podcast hosted by Cog from Iron Lords podcast and by Mr. Maddie Plays from YouTube. Um, I only know that because they're on the podcast network of Last Stand Media, which is uh, Sacred Symbols, which is basically like my favorite show in the world, hosted and, and done by Colin Moriarty, which is, you know, that's always been, he's always been my favorite podcaster. So anything he's affiliated with, I've always had kind of, I've always been kind of tuned in on. I try not to listen to Divining Duke for the same reason I don't listen to other shows. I don't want to influence the way I think about and talk about and handle my own podcasts. But, you know, the, the few times I have heard that podcast, I thought it's excellent. I thought they'd do a great job with that show. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I, I just want to say, like, I appreciate the kindness towards my show, but uh, maybe you have tried all the other shows. Maybe you've given many Xbox shows a, a try, but I'm sure there are many great Xbox podcasts out there. Um, I don't know. The, the thing, the thing I, I, I take comfort in or solace in or I, I like to lean into with Xbox on is obviously I don't work in the games industry. I, I don't have a big YouTube channel. I don't work for a gaming media outlet. I have no following or anything, which gives me the opportunity to just be like, hey, this is like the guy that lives right down the road from you fucking talking about Xbox. Maybe he knows what he's saying. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But it's fun because it's, it comes from a place of love and passion and not because it's my job. Um, it's not to say the other guys don't do it out of passion. I'm sure they all do. But 
that that's the fun of Xbox on to me. Not only that, but also just because we're incredibly ridiculous on this fucking show constantly shitting on the Chinese government and talking about Taco Bell, which is so unrelated to Halo and Xbox and all this shit that we're supposed to be talking about. So if you enjoy that, I, I greatly appreciate it. But uh, <laughs> let's show some love to all the all the podcasts because I'm sure there's some really excellent ones out there. Now, last comment of the week comes from none other than Sam Torres. You may recall him from the famous movie Saving Private Ryan. I know I don't know him from that, but here he is. He says, Strange, I was nodding my head during most of the podcast last week. One, Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2 is so quotable. Quote, I'll rip the flesh from her bones. And then you can hear his mechanical arms go click, click, click. And then he said, uh, um, uh, comes to mind with so many conversations with telemarketers. Uh, that's fucking funny. Don't forget Boldy McGuire's lines. He has some great ones. Like when he says, Aunt May, it's MJ. What is it, Peter? I'm going to ask her for money. <laughs> Dude, there, if you don't know where that's from, there are so many fucking good Bully Maguire YouTube poops out there. Please just fall down the rabbit hole and watch all those. They're so goddamn good. Uh, but if not, I missed the part where that's my problem. Anyway, number two, PlayStation followers pretend Sony is fair. I don't have anything to explain. Drop the S off Sony and you got Oni. <laughs> number three, Turbo Golf Racing was easy to put down. It felt like a demo with practice being the only thing not fucking grayed out. Uh, four, Golden Corral sucks. I would elaborate, but I went there Monday and ate till I... I ate till the fullness became foulness. Mistake. What do foreigners think they're uh, think when they go there? It's got um, the the makings of Willy Wonka cautionary tale without small orange men uh, to sing you out the door. Great show. You are podcast of the year. No survey needed. Again, appreciate it, Sam Torres. It's very kind of you to say. Dude, I just want to make one comment to this to, in response to this. I think the same fucking thing all the time, man. That's exactly it. Especially living here in Orlando now, where we have such a massive international. Um, audience that comes here from all over the world to, to experience our, our theme parks and all our attractions and our beaches. I always wonder that because Golden Crow is a big chain. They're everywhere here in Florida. No doubt, they definitely attract an international audience. There's no way you know, people aren't flying in from fucking France and Germany and Korea and all these fucking places and being like, oh man, what's that uh, Golden Crow place all about? Well, maybe we'll give that a try. That seems like a pretty like legit American experience. It seems like an American institution. Maybe we should go try the Golden Crow. What the fuck do these people think when they go there? I always wonder that, man. It's like, I feel like I need to clone myself so I can be in all of the Golden Crows at the same time standing outside the door so that when someone from a different country comes in, I can be like, I'm legally obligated to have you sign this disclaimer and explain to you that this restaurant, while it may seem indicative of American culture, is not necessarily rep fully representative of our culinary landscape. We can and have done better. Please do not judge us solely off the experience you're about to embark on. Before you enter, please wash your hands. This place is disgusting and you will get AIDS. And then, you know, let them into the store and do what they're going to do. It's their decision, you know, who am I to judge? But I, every time I think about that, I'm just like, God damn, that's such a bad way to represent this country. And Orlando, Florida, a city with so many people from all over the world, this is a lot of people's gateway into understanding what America is like. How many of those motherfuckers eat at Golden Crown and go, never again. Next time we go on vacation, we're going to New Zealand because fuck America. And I, dude, if you ate at Golden Crown and that's what did it to you, I can't, I can't blame you. You know, our toilets here in America, we're not a big bidet country, okay? Not many of our, our, our toilets have bidets. You're really only gonna find that if someone installs one in their personal private home toilet. You know, I'm sorry, Europe. I'm sorry, Japan. We don't have bidets. And if you had a golden crowl, something's going to be happening down there. And let's just say that bathroom is not going to be clean and it's not going to clean you sufficiently. 
All right, that's it for all of our comments this week, guys. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying anymore. Thank you all so much for writing in. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, I really appreciate you guys. You make this show. I mean, I, like, I legitimately would not be doing this show if no one listened. So especially, you know, the comments to me are a big one because that's the thing that really makes me feel like people are listening. So I always encourage you guys to comment if you want. Um, and it also helps to, uh, to share the show and spread awareness if um, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever your podcast service is, subscribe on YouTube. But, you know, that's it for this week. I appreciate your time. Hope you guys have an excellent week. Um, you know, just be with your loved ones. Um, you know, take, make sure you enjoy yourselves. Play some video games you love. Indulge in one of the many hobbies I'm sure you have outside of gaming. And, and, and uh, enjoy the people in your life because this is what it's all about. It's not about PlayStation versus Xbox. It's about spending time with those you care about and indulging in the things that make you happy. So have a great week. Be good to one another. And until next week, fuck you. I mean, sorry. Mm, I didn't mean to say that. Until next week, power your dreams. <laughs>